The Associated Press has decided that it is not appropriate to refer to protests as protests. Well, because, you know, there's been a bit of violence. They don't want to call them riots. So the AP new guidelines says to call it unrest. And a lot of people are kind of upset about it. They're saying that's, that's ridiculous. Just call them riots. I don't know. I actually kind of agree because you can lump the protests and the riots together by calling it unrest and still call it riots when they're explicitly riots. Now, we're entering in the, the final stretch for the presidential debate. Donald Trump is up on stage. He's saying, stand back and stand by. And the whole media erupts the Proud Boys. And you've got ongoing riots. You've got threats of more violence and more riots over the nomination and potential confirm or likely confirmation of Amy Coney Barrett. Plus, the election is going to be absolute chaos. So uh, you know what? I think for once, y'all have listened to me talk way too much because we have right now the, the, the DC riot squad. And I'll just let you guys introduce yourselves. So you go here. All right. <laughs> I'll start. First. Thank yeah. you. Um, I'm Shelby Talcott. I uh, work for the Daily Caller. I'm a media reporter and uh, field correspondent. Um, so we've been out on the ground covering uh, all these riots and protests, whatever you choose unrest. to call them, all the unrest <laughs> uh, this year, and we'll continue to do so. So all three of you have been everywhere, every single one of these major events. Do you, yes, guys wanna, you guys want to introduce yourselves? Yeah, so I'm, I'm Jorge Ventura, a field reporter with The Daily Caller. Same thing as kind of Shelby, you know, we're co covering the civil arrest. I could, now, I could actually call Shelby my partner in crime now, um, officially. So, yeah, just been covering the, uh, the uh, civil unrest, you know, been on the field kind of, uh, you know, providing the audience a real kind of an in-depth look at the, at the riots. You know, most of the time when you're watching the news, they, they'll stay out there till like 7, 8 p.m. And then they'll go, you know, yep. reporters go right back to their hotel. And then you don't see what happens after that. So I think a, a really good thing that we've done at The Caller is we've been able to provide you guys like the full story, you know, from the daytime, from, you know, after 8 into the late hours, like 2 a.m. So I think we've done a, you know, a really good job. And uh, so far, it seems like Americans are really appreciating the coverage. And you both got arrested. Yes. Yeah. Yep. And then, uh, but Richie, you're here too. So we're, we're, they're fighting over a microphone right now because we can. <laughs> yeah. I wasn't arrested though. Oh. You weren't arrested. <laughs> yeah, I was not. Just, just these two. No. I'm Richie McGinnis. I'm the chief video director at The Daily Caller. And yeah, basically, when all this stuff started, uh, Jorge and Shelby were in D.C. I was actually in New York. And once all of the unrest started around the country, <laughs> as the video director, I saw a real opportunity for our team to actually go to these protests and cover them authentically, you know, tell the full story, you know, talk to the, the protesters, the rioters, you know, law enforcement. And also the, the people who are cleaning up the community uh, the day afterwards. So really trying to tell the full story. Aren't you the guy who gave first aid to that dude in Kenosha? I am. That's yep. crazy, dude. Wow. So even before we started, you guys were get, about to get ready into the, like, you, you're about to get into these stories. And I'm like, stop telling these stories <laughs> until we turn the camera on. So look, I, I, I used to go on the ground for all this stuff and it's escalated. It's, I, I was in, I was in a couple places where there were, you know, active gunshots and stuff. You guys have been all over the place as it's been going on for months and is likely going to get crazier. So we're, 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 we'll, we'll talk all about this. And I'm just going to throw it to you guys and we'll, we'll get started with, you know, wh wherever you want. We've got some, some news relative to Donald Trump and you know, Proud Boys. Vice is apparently issuing a statement. It's kind of funny. But, uh, before we get into all that, make sure you smash the like button, subscribe. We do the show Monday through Friday live at 8 p.m. And, uh, yeah, hang out. We're going to, we're just going to, we're just going to, talk about it. we got a bunch of we got a, a big crew here it's but nice i i guess i'll put it this way man i got really angry today when i was reading about all of these stories that are desperate to claim donald trump refuses to do, to denounce white supremacy and so they do this clever trick where they're like donald trump refuses to denounce white supremacy 
Donald Trump tells Proud Boys stand back and stand by, creating like this manipulation in media where they're trying to make you think the Proud Boys are a white supremacist group. And so what I always say is like, look, man, the Proud Boys are a lot of things and you can criticize them, but they're not a white supremacist group. The media is desperate to play that up. So the first thing I want to ask, as the leftist narrative and the media narrative tends to be that it's actually right wing militias and right wing groups that are starting all the violence. Now, look, I got to be honest. I've only, for the most part, watched your videos to get a sense of what's going on on the ground. So let's hear it from you guys. Is it really right wing groups that are secretly starting all the riots? No. And I think a really good example of this, actually, a New York Times article just came out, I think it was today. And a uh, photographer, I believe it was, wanted to go undercover to confirm that right wing militias and, and extremists were starting this violence. And he actually found the exact opposite. Um, they published that. Yes. Wow. Yeah. It came out today. And, and uh, I think we've seen that, too, you know. Um, you look at Portland, you look at Seattle, uh, you look at some of these other areas that we've been to, and it is very clearly not right wing militias starting the violence. I mean, all you have to do is go out there later than 9 p.m., 10 p.m. and, and see it for yourself and talk to these people. Um, they're definitely not pro-Trump. They're definitely, you know, it, it, I mean, it's, it's absurd to imply that. Like, it's crazy to me that you guys can pump out hours of videos every time you go to these places, but then you have low information, I guess, I call them low information culture war belligerents. There are people who are online screaming like, we're right, you're wrong. It's actually right-wingers doing it. And I'm like, the only videos I see are like leftist black bloc people and Black Lives Matter going around throwing bricks and starting fires. Yet for some reason, you see all these people on Twitter. I wonder if it's just they know they're lying and they have to. Because, I mean, if they admitted what was really going on with left-wing violence, they'd lose. Yeah, I think I think it's a mistake. It's like, I think when people see an image of someone in, like, militia gear, they just automatically assume they're, like, a Trumper or on the right. And, like, Shelby was saying, and actually, I was kind of even shocked myself when we actually interviewed these people. These people are actually on the side of the protesters. They're not... They're not even on the oh, right at all. You mean like the Boogaloo boys and yeah, stuff? Yeah, yeah. So a lot, of, a lot of these folks are not even, you know, don't even consider themselves like Republicans. A lot of these folks consider themselves like libertarians and kind of want to like, uh, not, I don't want to say overthrow the system, but obviously want less laws and stuff like that. So that's one thing that, you know, me and Shelby kind of learned on the ground, um, you know, covering the stuff in, in, you know, different cities too. But I mean, that's like, that's referencing these instances where there have been Boogaloo boys. I mean, for the most part, it's just black block far left people, right? Like most of the places yeah. you've been to. Yeah. I mean, and, uh, Richie and I went to Seattle for Chaz, uh, the autonomous zone. And that was definitely not right wing, uh, people I would say, but you know, everyone had guns there and, and everyone, it was yeah. On, I, upon first impression, maybe you think that because of what I, you know, people would assume about each side, but it, that's, it's just a false narrative. I mean, didn't they, they pump like hundreds of rounds into a pickup truck and killed two kids? Or no, they, one of them died. Yeah, there were, there were three shootings, I believe, in Chaz d at different times. And uh, did two kids die? It, two it, people died? It was two kids, yeah. 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 And, and then, then, then the other, the, the, while well, you know, reporting in Seattle, um, you know, a lot of these, to get into Chaz, they had like armed security. And then, you know, while we were there, I was actually able to get one to did a quick interview with me. He wouldn't do it on camera. But I was like, who's who's responsible for this stuff? And they're like, oh, we're, we're with a John Brown gun club. That was the first time I've ever heard. I'm like, the John Brown gun club. That's, that's like a left wing militia. And it's a left wing militia. <laughs> so right there, I was like, 
Okay, the, you know these guys are you know about the Second Amendment stuff. When, obviously, when it comes to them, but it was that was the very first time I've ever heard anything about that. Then I've heard you know that name, John Brown Gun Club, you know, pop up multiple times after our trip in Seattle. That's crazy that uh, like they would take the name John Brown Gun, Gun Club and then now it's like associated with like Marxists and, and communists or whatever. Did you want to you wanted to jump in, Richie? Yeah, I mean, actually, to be fair though, while we were in the Chaz, Shelby and I did uh, film a video of mm. a couple of Proud Boys. Four Proud Boys beating up a guy pretty badly. Really? And Why were they there? Well, basically, we were covering this. These folks who were bringing in a uh, flag, and they oh, the American yeah, flag. That's right. That's right. So their security were they were the Proud Boys, and after the flag bearers left, I basically said to Shelby, like Shelby and I were like, "Well, the Proud Boys are still here." And as they were on their way out, an individual went up, and we were a little ways back, so we didn't see the initial confrontation that caused it. But we did run up right as the brawling was starting, and I mean you can see the video on Twitter. It's it's pretty it's pretty brutal. It's a pretty brutal beating yeah. they gave the guy. Wow! Um, it so, was so, like six five versus one. Six yeah, and, and one. actually Whoa. a couple of the Proud Boys were armed, and at one point in the video, it looks like the guy who's getting beaten actually is leaning for the for the gun, and that's the kind of situation where I'm looking like, do I have to form tackle Shelby, and are we going to hit the deck here? <laughs> <laughs> well, so so as she shakes her head, <laughs> as as the as the Proud Boys are basically the biggest story right now. I, I can't believe Joe Biden decided to shout that out at debate because I, I immediately got messages from friends. They're like, what's a proud boy? And I kid you not. Some people think it's like an LGBTQ thing. Like for, for real, like it was a joke from Gavin McInnes. It was meant to be silly. Now it's just like legit thing that gets shouted out. And now they're like the big story. So uh, let me ask you guys, out of all of the riots you've been to, you, you mentioned, you know, in the Chaz shop, whatever, there was an instance where the, the Proud Boys beat some dude pretty bad. Have you, has there been anything else you've seen across the country? I mean, like, not like the, well, yeah, actually, just, you guys can answer. Just leave it there. That, I think, is the only example that we've seen of the Proud Boys, uh, really inserting themselves into, into a situation like that. Um, I, we, I mean, uh, Richie went to a Proud Boys, rally last weekend and uh, i think the police did a pretty good job of keeping did it was there even like antifa there or well there were actually there was a counter protest which actually was much much larger by a magnitude of at least five wow uh, which was just a couple miles away but it was a really big park and so unlike there wasn't there was a kind of a proud boys rally downtown in august which got pretty violent uh, which we weren't present for but um that was where antifa and you know the proud boys whatever the, the prayer group they were clashing was that was that was that patriot prayer or was that really proud? patriot well i don't really know exactly right. it's hard to tell it was it was run by the patriot prayer yeah. but there were definitely some people in there who you know, identified boys. as proud boys but this weekend it was it was explicitly proud boys there were patriot prayer people there as well but it was almost entirely peaceful the only there was a very small little physical altercation where they're basically uh, asking the press who who they were on the way in and they were forcing out some antifa press Oh, I see. Uh, whatever that means. I mean, obviously, that's, there's no credentials that say Antifa <laughs> Press, so I'm not sure of the validity on that, but there was a small conversation. But I'd say, other than those two instances, no, we haven't seen anything. Or, or, or that was, sorry, that was, that was even, I would say, like, that was a Proud Boys rally. So it wasn't an example of the Proud Boys, you know, going into a protest or a riot and trying to, uh, you know, change the direction of things. It or, was, or even start a riot. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, so, even, I mean, even the the main thing, the reason why the problems are even coming up again is because the violence has gone so bad in these cities. Now, this is not me saying this is from folks that I've interviewed in the Proud Boys that what they've told me is just, you know, the violence is getting so bad in the cities. They feel like they have to 
come in there and like restore law and order or at least show other americans hey we, you know we, we stand with law and order we you know we want to we want you know this to be restored to how it was um so that's the big thing that i've been picking up is they feel like they got to come in and kind of you know just you know just restore something back um well they, happens, I don't know. they declared victory in portland so I, I mean, first of all, we should probably describe what the Proud Boys are because, like, we're sitting here acting like I can straight up say nobody knows who the Proud Boys are. <laughs> Joe Biden brings them up, and then I'm just operating under the assumption it's everybody listening. Yeah. So uh, they're Western chauvinists. They're basically a mixed bag of politics. They're nationalists. And they have previously had violence as a core function of what their group was in terms of their degrees. Do you guys know all the degrees? I know, I know the first. So basically, to join the Proud Boys— First, there's like you go to a chapter and you make you make an announcement that you're not going to apologize for the for creating the Western world. Something to that effect. The second degree, I think, is that you get beat up. They punch you while you name five breakfast cereals. I, it's because it was a joke. It wasn't a real like, you know what I mean? Like this is not an actual uh, uh, like gang or something, like whatever. So then I don't know what the third one is. It might be getting a tattoo or something. But then I remember the fourth degree, like the highest rank or whatever, was getting into a fight defending Western values. Mm. So there was actually a component where if they went out and Antifa started a fight and they, they fought somebody, then they got a rank up or something. So they've been the, – the media likes to, to, to very – like they give no favors to the Proud Boys. So they give favors all day, at least in my experience, to Antifa. Like Antifa doesn't exist. It's just an idea. And then you get the Proud Boys and it's like, well, they're far right extremists, neo-Nazi, white supremacists, alt-right, white nationalists, like every name in the book. They, they endorse violence and they're hunting people down. In fact, they're responsible for all of the violence. Like I, w- I was reading CBS today and they said the Proud Boys, comma, a white supremacist group, comma. And I'm like, that's just ridiculous. Like you got to get your facts straight, man. And this, this is what really I, I, I hope it's clear to everybody listening, like. If you guys have no problem saying, oh, man, the Proud Boys beat up some guy really bad, like you're giving us the honest take. You're not protecting any of these people. But the reality is I don't see far right groups starting riots for the past 110, 120 days. But how is that that narrative exists for some reason? You look like you. I I think it's, you know, it's what the the media wants. Yeah, for me, to... for me, it's like a huge media creation. It like, like I was, like we were speaking before the, the show started is for them to even be brought up at a presidential debate to me, it was really disappointing because it's like we're in the middle of a pandemic. People are literally trying to put food on the table. People are wondering if we're getting a stimulus check and we're talking about the Proud Boys. Like, you know, like I said, if you're in Michigan or Pennsylvania and you're an undecided voter, if there are any undecided voters still, you're just wondering, like, how does this even affect my life? So <laughs> what's a Proud Boy? Yeah, yeah. So I yeah. think, you know, for me, this they're becoming just wait they got too much free cloud off the presidential debate they're becoming this huge media creation that's like that's not really playing a role in the in the election and you know for some reason it's they're like the number one it's joe biden topic yeah so yeah it's it's just donald trump is the answer and it's a mechanism by which this violence in our streets can be you know they can blame him blame him yeah and with antifa that's obviously not the case and so the downplaying that you see there i mean that's that's no surprise either so that's it, that's my answer. Is it Antifa rioting or is it Black Lives Matter? Uh, I there, think there's it's There's a both. mix for sure. Yeah. I mean, certain cities that we've been to, Kenosha there's, was... there's more Antifa, more of an Antifa presence. Really? And in other cities, like Portland, for example. But even I'm, but they're, they're flying Black Lives Matter flags in Portland. Yeah, there's a combination there there as well. But I'd say in terms of the organization of the tactics and stuff like that, like when we were in Portland, um, you know, the, the 
BLM activists would come up and take the stage right around sunset and they'd say, I'm not going near that fence. You know, I'm mm-hmm. just, I'm here to demonstrate. And when we come in near that fence and they come out and when we're violent and we bring them here, then that defeats the whole purpose of what we're doing. So we saw a lot of that. And then, you know, the Antifa folks come out at 12 a.m. when all the cable news, you know, they're no longer live and all, there's no more correspondence out there. <laughs> and it's no longer a party like atmosphere. We'll just Dude, leave yeah. it at that. The, I, I, you know, I can rag on the media forever. It's crazy how you guys, you're literally just there the whole time, be it through any one of these riots or particularly like the more severe, crazy ones like Kenosha and the news crews, they're gone. Has, has, I'm curious to people listening. Have any, have, have you ever thought about the fact that when you see one of these Twitter videos, there's no news crews anywhere? Yeah. yeah like, what, I don't know. What do you guys think? Like, you're the I, only ones down there. I think part of it is because, uh, the, the media is a really like, these protesters and rioters do not like the media. So if you come in with a big camera and a legitimate crew, the chances that you get forcibly pushed out are high. We've seen it multiple times before. And so what we do is we go in much more low key with literally our cell phones and um, try to be as, you know, discreet as possible because um, they don't. They don't want media there. Right, right. And and the difference is that a lot of these outlets will say, okay, you know what? It's too dangerous. Let's just leave. But it's part of the story. And I think that's that's the other issue I have with a lot of people in the media is that they say that, you know, uh, conservatives are are overblowing the violence. But when it's happening night after night in multiple cities, it's part of the story. And then, you know, even on my very first night, you know, ever actually re- reporting for Daily Caller on the job. I believe it was uh, the, it was like May 29th and the White House goes on lockdown. And oh, it was wow. like, I believe it was like 12.15, I remember it. And I, uh, our producer, Sean, you know, he messaged me and says, hey, we need a reporter on the ground. He's like, where'd you go? I know, you're, you know, you just started. I was like, I was like, I'll get an Uber right now. And as soon as I got to the ground at Lafayette, you know, square, it was, it was, you know, hectic. P- the, the, the crowd was, was going crazy. And, you know, I was setting up my phone on this like little cell phone tripod. And as I'm setting it up, I could hear uh, Leland Rett from Fox News, you know, getting ready to do his live shot. And he, as soon as he says, I'm Leland Rett with Fox News, you could just hear the whole crowd say, Fox <laughs> News? And then that's when they all go, you know, to attack him. They like stole his mic. They threw it Whoa. back at him. And then this is my very first time ever oh, reporting man. for the Daily Caller. So I was like, I just ah. turned my phone on. I hit record. And then I started doing like some narration. And then, you know, Leland was able to make it to the police. And I just posted it on Twitter, and I think like an hour or two later, the clip was at like 200k views. Wow! And then, I, then the next morning, I woke up to like you know Fox playing it, Tucker wanted it, but right there, it th- that was my first experience saying, wait, you know this this game is is different now because you know I I, I went to school where you know I majored in broadcast journalism, like the old school style where like <laughs> when you go when you go report a story, you dress nice, you look good, your your hair is combed over, and you I talk learned, like this, and you talk like this. I'm George to the Lafayette, Lafayette Park, and I learned really quick. I'm like, you know what? This is going to be a different t- style of journalism that I was taught of the whole dressing nice. We're going to have to adapt. And right there at that first night, how like Shelby said is. We, we kind of learned like, hey, we can't, we can't approach this, you know, how, how, how we used to. Aren't you mad that you wasted all that money? Yeah. Going to school. <laughs> you just go out there with a cell phone and like Tucker Carlson's like, let me run it. <laughs> Man, it's, it, it's, was, was that, uh, was that that fateful day where Trump did the photo op? No, that was no. A, a few days before that. Oh, okay. Yeah. Yeah, the lockdown happened later. Yeah. Yeah. And then, yeah. So, so seeing, you know, Leland Wright get attacked was, was pretty crazy. And I, and I believe about two or three weeks after that, Shelby actually, 
uh, got got attacked when we were we were reporting on on BLM Plaza. Shelby, you want to speak about that experience? Yeah. <laughs> so uh, we were. Uh, it was sort of a tense situation. There was a line of police and then a line of protesters or rioters. I I don't know if had it if unrest people, whatever you call it. <laughs> unrest. Yeah. <laughs> Unresters. Um, Unresters. And, like yeah. That. I don't know how you know. Perfect. Uh, and a group came with shields, and they were all moving to the front of the line so that the police had shields and they had shields. And so naturally I roamed over and started to film and um, a group of girls accused me of being an undercover cop. <laughs> and I was like, I'm not, not pretty sure I'm not an undercover cop. Um, but they didn't believe me. And, and I, one or two protesters were actually trying to um, calm the situation down. I showed them like my bio, I showed them, you know, my Twitter to show them, you know, who I was. And one of them was like, yeah, okay, uh, she is who she says she is. And they're like, delete the footage, um, stop filming. And I, you know, am a Irish Catholic, like short tempered, <laughs> like, Heck yeah. you know, if you tell me to do something, I'm probably just going to do the exact opposite. Yeah. <laughs> so I, well, I stayed because uh, it was sort of I also knew that a lot of media will just leave. And I feel like that's really wrong. And you can't let you know, this is my job and you can't um, be bullied into something. And so they started pushing me around, shoving me. One of the girls grabbed my phone. She was on the ground um, like with her. I think one of my coworkers was like prying her fingers off of my phone. And and I got shoved into the police line, actually. And the police pulled me through. Wow. And then they handcuffed me. Uh-huh. You guys have um, <laughs> like special phones when you go down that like. Nope, this is my only phone. That's why I fought for like I was not letting go of this phone. I was like, this is, this is my baby. You know, I, you you definitely got to get like yeah, a burner, a second phone. Yeah, just something you can I trash. Think that's a like good a idea. cheapo I'm Android. Tell a story from my perspective though, because um, basically that you know police. Well, so you want you want to start real quick? Just yeah. Well, so, yeah. Sorry, I, I got to st- tell this story from my perspective because um, Shelby and I were right there on the police lines. Things were kind of settled down, actually. The police had pushed everybody out of the area and, you know, they were set up. And so there were just two lines of, of protesters, unresters, and... Unresters. And, uh, and I'm actually talking, negotiating a content deal, trying to make, you know, trying to keep everybody employed. And, uh, and Shelby's like, hey, I'm going to go, I'm going to go over there with uh, Matt and Vince. And I'm like, oh, yeah, you're good. Okay, cool. And I'm on the phone and I just, I hear all this yelling and I turn and I just see Shelby behind police lines, handcuffed, just oh, screaming. Right. Wow. <laughs> and I was like, uh, yeah, I, I think I got to go. <laughs> <laughs> I remember that. I think there was a video of you like yeah. getting cuffed, right? Yeah. And people were freaking out like, why are they handcuffing her? No, what? that was the second time we got arrested. No, 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 no. I, rem- I remember oh. saying like it was BS that you got handcuffed because oh, yeah, 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 you were being yeah. attacked. Yep. But then you guys got arrested yes. recently. Last and week. So my, my initial reaction to you guys getting arrested, so... Uh, just like, uh, well, yeah, I'll just start. I'll just start from the beginning. When I heard that you guys got arrested, I saw a bunch of people on Twitter tweeting like, this is BS. They're arresting journalists. And I got to be honest, I was laughing. You know why? Because this happens all the time. Journalists get arrested. They get shoved by cops. Like I've got friends who are reporting in Portland and they're standing outside where the cop will come and shove them. It happens. It, it does. And all of a sudden now to see people who normally have never tweeted about it, like sounding just like these other left wing journalists. It's a legitimate. I'm not. I'm not trying to disrespect anybody. I'm saying like, now we're seeing conservatives be like, "Whoa!" And then my reaction was like, "You know what, man? Look, it's chaotic. You got Antifa pretending to be press, 
And then the cops are like, there's a big crowd in front of me. I have no idea who you are. Everybody's getting arrested. And I've been in a situation. But when your guys' boss called them up and said, yeah, they're reporters and the police refused to cut you loose. That's when I was like, now nah, that's some BS. Yeah. You can make a mistake. And I'm willing to be like, well, fine. Mistakes happen. But I don't know. You guys want to tell a story about what went down when you got arrested covering the Antifa riots? Yeah, you, well, you I think Shelby should start because her, her oh. starting point is a little bit more interesting than mine because oh, she was like yeah. a block away from the, the police shooting, right, Shelby? Yeah, so, uh, well, the, earlier in that night, uh, two police officers had been shot. This, this is Louisville. In mm-hmm. Louisville. Yeah. Um, and, and the police shooting happened, I want to say, a mile or so away from the protest area, um, which is where we were ultimately arrested. And so I was uh, near the hospital Um I had just recorded a, the chief of police had done an update. You know, the two officers were alive and one was in surgery. And uh, then I headed back to the protest area and it was, you know, after curfew, but press are exempt from the curfew and exempt from unlawful assemblies because, you know, it's, it's news and this is our job. And uh, there was a really long line of police officers and sort of a scattered protester crowd. And the police were telling them to disperse. And after, I want to say, 10, 15 minutes, they, they did appear to be leaving. They they roamed down the block. And some of them went left. Some of them went right. And that's when the police just came from all sides. Um, and I just started recording. And apparently, one of the police officers said that I, we were running from the police. And I have a video of me literally just standing, walking around <laughs> in a circle, like, Police are corralling everyone in. And the then, kettle. yeah, the kettle. And then um, we were told to get on the ground, and I recorded that too. So I got on the ground. They were like, put your. Wait, real quick, she got a watermark on the video as she was getting arrested. I did. So oh, wow. that's, yeah, that's somebody you want working for you. I was, <laughs> I was told that we have to have watermarks on our videos. So I, you know, I in the video, you can see I'm saying, you know, we're press, we're press. Um, and we, the, the first big issue was that we didn't have press credentials on us. And so I knew that we were likely going to be taken in, but I also knew, or I assumed, um, because I had already told my boss and everyone who worked at the caller, uh, I knew that they were calling already to get us out. And so I, I assumed we were not even going to be processed because it was very clear, like Jeff, my, our editor in chief, you know, provided ample evidence that we were who we said we were. And I ended up getting processed, getting charged with two misdemeanors, unlawful assembly and failure to disperse. And I was held for 16 hours. Hmm. And so. then uh, you got arrested at the same time, the same. Yeah. So, you know, got got arrested with Shelby. Uh, you know, we ended up getting split. Um, the my arresting officer was like he actually believed that I was pressed. Like I had like a little press thing on me. And he was like at least trying to, he was at least trying to talk to his officers on what to do with me, but he at the end of the day, you know, it wasn't his call. And then we get into the uh, into like we're about to get processed or we're like chained up with everyone. And then like a sergeant or like a chief like a higher up comes into that that section and says, you know, he yells my name, uh Jorge Ventura. And I said, you know, I raised my my hand and he he brought me over. He says, Hey, um, I'm on the phone with your editor in chief. You are accredited media, Jorge Ventura, and your partner, you know, he says Shelby's name. And he says, just hold on one sec. So when he walks back, so for me, I was already doing like a celebration dance. I was like, Whoa, <laughs> I'm getting out. Yeah, we're out. I'm like, we're, I was trying to find show. Like, we're out of here. This is, this is awesome. He then literally just comes back and was like, 
hey, we're going to charge you two misdemeanors. You're going to stay a night in jail. We give you, you know, several uh, attempts to leave the unlawful assembly, and you did it. And I was just like, what's what's the what are the misdemeanors? It you was, guys uh, had the same ones? No. Yeah, mine's was like local county ordinance, and then uh, you know failure to disperse. And, and then hers mine is, is yeah. uh, unlawful assembly and failure to disperse. Yeah. So for a sec, Tim, so I, I'm the worst criminal. Yes. Yeah, so, <laughs> oh, <wow. laughs> so it, it was it was it, it sucked for me because actually I got the high of thinking we're gonna escape. Oh, you know, well, he just yeah. dropped me down escape. even. He just doubled down. A third, <laughs> a third reporter, uh, Drew Hernandez, was mm-hmm. also arrested, and I had been already at this point when I saw him come through. I had been chained. They had like a, you know, they had us chained up literally like dogs. It was, it was like by around the neck. No, like (laughs) there was a, there was a lot, there was like a, a chain link line with like multiple handcuffs and we were all just handcuffed next to each other on the same chain for like two and a half hours. You know, um, and Drew walked by and mouthed to me that someone was on the phone. So he must have been right next to Jorge. And, mm-hmm. and so I assumed at that point that I was getting released. So then and uh, shortly after the female officer who had arrested me came and and uncuffed me and and two girls next to me started cursing at me, um, asking me, you know, white privilege. Why? Who am, <laughs> who am I? And they were white. But, <laughs> you know, who am I? Why am I being why am I being taken away? And I thought I was getting released. So I was just like, I'm a reporter. And they went crazy oh. and then i ended up being in the cell with one of them oh no which made me nervous <laughs> yeah but I, I can only imagine being chained to those people is like the scene from dumb and dumber where uh, i don't you have you seen this am i too old i've where, seen it where yeah like <laughs> the dude's in the middle of uh jim carrey and jeff daniels and they're going ah, and like screaming in screaming his ears and he's like, yeah. man i could i could I it was a mixed bag there were some girls crying <laughs> some girls were just sitting there like this is what's happening mm-hmm. some girls were very angry but every time one of the girls moved we'd all move because we were all handcuffed together and the girl who was ha- they ran out of handcuffs so they started handcuffing us like I was zip tied and handcuffed with one handcuff. Oh, wow. And the girl behind me was using the other handcuff and she was like six inches taller than me. So my like shoulder was like, it was, yeah. Oh, man. So, so, so how many of the men were crying in your cell? <laughs> <laughs> well, no, no men were crying in mine, but well, I had. That, well, uh, hold on. I, that's just weird. <laughs> were you crying? Uh, men and women are, you know. I had, uh, but I was in there with, uh, you know, small cell, one bathroom with, with 40 men. Oh, it's not even <laughs> a bathroom. <laughs> oh, yeah, so I got. Wait, 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 wait. Were you chained together? Yeah, well, we were be at, at first. Then, then we go into cell. But before, you know, when we even were chained up, I still had my phone. So I was like. Oh, nice. I was like taking pictures oh, and like gosh. using my phone. And then I would look at Chubb and she was just like. And I was like, oh. <laughs> were, were, were you like in the same holding cell, like across? No. The- so uh, when first, before they processed everyone, they arrested over a hundred people that night. So they were like a mess. So yeah. th- we were like, there was one line of people chained up that were females. Another line were females. Another line of men. And then once we got processed, we went into holding cells, and that was separated. And my holding cell was like off in a corner, so we couldn't even see the men. I think you you guys were across from another yeah. female holding cell. Um, was anybody singing? Oh, yes, actually. I knew it. I at knew one it. point, at one point, there was one um, nurse who was kind of nice to us, and, and they named her Miss Jackson. <laughs> and they started doing the, I'm sorry, Miss I'm not going to sing for people. But, you know, <laughs> yeah. And then at another time, they started screaming BLM chants. Aww. Like, you can't stop the revolution. And then they decided to stop because they didn't want to be charged with inciting a riot inside right. a jail. Yeah. Oh, wow. Is that- yeah. They they, were, they, I don't know if that's a thing, but they were like, yeah. we should probably, yeah. 
Well, I don't know if that's a thing, but I know singing is a thing. Like they always sing. And I would just be like, look, man, I've been, uh, I've been arrested. I think I can, off the top of my head, I can remember two incidences, uh, two instances, but I've never been processed. So I was in St. Louis. I got arrested. And this is really, really annoying to me that there's like, even there's like, it doesn't matter what political, uh, faction people are involved in. They don't understand what arrest means. So I literally, an officer say, you are under arrest. Cuff me, sit me down. And then half an hour later, you have press credentials, pull up my wallet, take a look, uncuff me and say, get out. That's an arrest. It's not detained. Detained. There's different, there's different legal, uh, uh, there's legal distinctions there. And then I was in DC when, uh, they surrounded this whole group of like 250 people. And I was standing on the sidewalk and there was like these stair set. It's like two or three stairs. This was uh, the J-20 rioting in, in Washington, D.C. for Trump's inauguration. And all of these people just like run full speed past the cops. They're like knocking cops down. Cops are spraying everybody. And I just like back off. And that was the mistake. The cops surround everybody in this little space that I was in. And so the first thing I did was I went to the far edge of where the police like were lined up. So I was like literally standing next to the cop and staying away from the people screaming. And then I just asked one guy for a supervisor and they like wouldn't really give me any attention because they're like standing with their batons out. And then someone like finally one of the cops nods and then like, you know, I guess whispers somebody. The lieutenant comes over and I was like, I'm holding my press card. I just want to let you know I'm press. And he goes, don't care. Everybody here is you're you're under arrest. You are not free to go. And that's just what's happening. And I was like, dude, dude, I know. I know. Just letting you know. That's all. That's all I'm saying. And so then finally he comes back over and that there was like a news crew, like it was like an NBC crew and they had a camera. And he, and he looked at him and he, you know, fingered, you know, come over here. And then the cops move out of the way. And then I immediately like pop up behind him and I hold up my card and the guy looks at me and he fans me over. And then he was like, show me your press cards. And then I did. And they pulled out a small handful of the journalists. A couple of the journalists that were in there were screaming at the top of their lungs at the cops. You mother effer, I'm effing press. What gives you the right? They got, they got arrested. Yeah. I, I was sitting there like with my hands up, just like chilling and I was like, you know, the cop that was next to me was like agitated and looking and out. And whenever I was doing something, I'd let him know. I'd be like, I'm just going to go in my bag, grab my cell phone. Just want you to know. He's like, like nods. Cause he doesn't know what these people are doing. Yeah. So I'm like trying to be very, you know, careful of that. But so I've never been, uh, I say this cause I've never been actually brought down to the station with these people. And I'm eternally grateful. Cause I'll tell you what, I've been arrested for skateboarding before and I got charged that they, they wanted to get me on a felony, which is like just ridiculous over the top. He was riding his skateboard in downtown Chicago. So we're going to throw the book at him. Ultimately, the judge like got really angry because they ended up giving me a misdemeanor. But the, the judge got super angry when he found out. But so I'm sitting they, when I got arrested, I got put in this concrete block. The lights are on full blast. There's like no water. It's just you go in a room and there's a concrete block to sit on. And the only thing I could hear was some guy wailing who was like probably mentally, mentally unwell. I can deal with all that. I can absolutely, I can sit down there. I can fold my legs and I can, you know, do some, some Zen meditation or whatever and just zone out and be like, I can sit through this. I can endure. But I tell you what, man, if you put a, a couple hundred like Antifa leftists singing Kumbaya, I'd probably bash my skull against the wall. <laughs> and that'd be the end. I will say, I think that I did much better with these people in with me. Granted, they didn't know where I worked because I was genuinely afraid of saying where I worked. So they asked me and I said I was a freelancer. Um, and then they asked me who I was freelancing for. And I said, I'm just freelancing for 
Freelancers. Yeah, you just say, well, we we, um, we just we just sell it afterwards. Yeah. Like, so it and could be anybody. Because it is a gen like we have been targeted and that's like a genuine concern. And I think that was a really big concern that the caller expressed to the police department and it didn't matter. So um, just just for everybody who's listening, Daily Caller, that's Tucker Carlson's outlet, right? Yeah. Is he still involved or he like no, stepped down? He sold his shares to um Neil Patel, so. Ah, interesting. Yeah. But it's still associated yes. with, you know, he founded it, I guess. Is that what it is? Yeah, Neil Patel is Tucker's Carl college roommate. Oh, they, that's they weird. They founded it together in 2010. Oh, okay, cool. that's not weird. Yeah. <laughs> <That makes laughs> yeah. Sense. I was like, selling your company to your college roommate, that's like an interesting... Oh, wait, they started it together because mm-hmm. they're friends that I get. Yeah. yeah. But uh, I will say, actually, um, I think that Louisville was um, more BLM-focused than Antifa-focused. That was one of the cities, um, you know, compared to Portland, I would say, is more Antifa-focused. So it was, the message was a lot clearer in Louisville than in some other cities where I feel like they're just destroying things for no reason. And you, you know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. Um, and there wasn't as much destruction in Louisville as I thought. And I think, and actually my cellmates agreed with me. They were like, you know, we thought the city was going to burn. Hmm. And there were destruct, there were, you know, things broken into and, and, but it, but it wasn't like, it wasn't Kenosha or Minneapolis. Yeah. Um, but I will say that some of these, some of the people that were in there definitely deserve to be in there. I think one of them broke a police officer's hand. Whoa. Um, wow. Well, she said she didn't, but hmm. I don't know. Uh, but some of them, uh, you know, seemed like they really were against, you know, violent protests. They were, um, you know, more for peaceful stuff and they did have, you know, legitimate stories and messages to share. Uh, so that was interesting because it was it sort of opened up my eyes um, to a different side of the protests that you don't see as much. And they don't really give you the ability to see because they don't like media. And they right. Don't like exactly. Press. Yep. Um, and it also opened my eyes to just how bad <laughs> jail is. <laughs> Would not recommend. Yeah. Um, like I didn't I- realize, you know, if. You don't always get water when you want water. Like the toilet was right by the window where actual inmates could like watch us. And luckily we devised a plan. We had a blanket and anytime someone would need to pee, they that's like that's multiple like a, people yeah. would come up but that's a it, very common thing for the, the people when when, when protesters get arrested. Yeah. They have these techniques. Yeah. So if you if you're lucky enough to be a journalist getting arrested with one of the organizers, they know exactly how to how to how to work. We had everything. an organ. We had one or two organizers in our in our cell with us, and it was eye opening. I mean, horrible, and I like almost lost my mind. I'm serious. Like not knowing the time for 16 hours, it messes with you. I it was, and the fact that I knew that they knew that I was press and I was still not being released, I thought mm-hmm. was a real failure. Um, in the justice system, whoever it was that was yeah. you know allowed to release us, I was really disappointed. Do you think you're stronger now having experienced it? Yes, I think. And I think I have um, different. I, I've It's, again, opened up a whole different sort of aspects of these protests of the justice system um, that I have ne- I've never seen do you, before. Do you guys consider yourselves to be conservatives? I would say I'm, I'm more. I mean, I'm trying to just provide like unbiased news like i've never voted before i still haven't voted like i'm not registered so, like, not even p- political yeah i'm not really you know political um I don't, what, what would you say Shelby? yeah i'm i'm i think that's in, uh, because people just assume yeah that we're uber conservative mm-hmm. because of you know who we're associated with 
I would say none of us are really. I mean, I know Richie's politics. Richie voted for who? Did, you can go, go ahead and say it. <laughs> He's going to well, say it. Well, yeah, I did. I, I voted for Barack Obama. Oh, people out there. <laughs> I voted for Obama <laughs> the first time. Yeah. You yeah. voted for the second second time. I did. Oh I, wow. I I didn't regret the first time, but you know, I was 18 years old. I just moved to Washington D.C. But the second time, yeah, I do. I definitely regret it. But yeah, I think just I'm more of an anti-establishmentarian. You know, I. I I saw the Bush years, I saw the Clinton years growing up, and I really saw a problem with both sides of the establishment. And Barack Obama really, he did run on a platform of hope and change. It's just that, you know, once he got into office, clearly he was kind of sucked into that establishment. So, I mean, I would consider, yeah, myself an anti establishmentarian. Yeah. How's I would, oh, yeah, go ahead. Oh, no, 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 go ahead. Go ahead. Yeah, I would say, I mean, I, before I started this, I started uh, as a journalist in 2019. And I, um, before that, I played professional tennis for four years. And before that, I, you know, played D1 at University of Iowa. So I was sports and yeah. I was hardly even in America. So I had no idea what was going on in, in American politics. Um, so I didn't grow up being actually when I first got my job, my, my aunt, uh, we call her girl Kelly. She'll be happy. Gave her a shout out. Um, <laughs> but we, she was shocked that I was going into politics. And, and I, but I think that has allowed me to really, um, see both sides. Like I genuinely do feel like I, um, can understand both sides of the spectrum. And therefore I, I do try really hard, um, in my reporting, you know, if it's peaceful, it's peaceful. Some of these people have legitimate uh, things. I I think, I think, uh, a lot of what we hear is, is from the protesters and the unresters. (laughs) There are real legitimate problems Mm -hmm. that need to be solved. The problem is, when you have, like, if someone comes to me and says Black Lives Matter, I'll be like, absolutely. Like, I don't know. Where, where do we go from there? Like, what do you want yeah. to do? You know, if you tell me that somebody got shot and they shouldn't have, let's talk about it because cops should not be executing people if it is like a murder. If it's the instance where it's like a fight breaks out and someone's struggling with cops, like, I don't know what we're supposed to do. You know what I mean? Like with Jacob Blake, for instance, like he was fighting with cops. He had a knife. And he was apparently, you know, the, the stealing the woman's car. He wanted on a felony warrant and she was yelling, according to the lawyer, he's got my kids. He's got my keys. And so what's the cop supposed to, how's cops supposed to respond to this guy who's wanted on a felony warrant doing these things? It's a challenge. The problem I see is I got no problem sitting down with, with, with a Trump supporting conservative who's like, you know, yelling blue lives matter and we got to respect the cops. I'm going to be like, I, I absolutely agree. For a society to function, cops got to be able to make arrests, even if, Sometimes they make mistakes. It can be really annoying, but you deal with the process after the fact and they're, they're you, you don't fight with them. But then the other side is like burn it all down, destroy, you know, the abolish police, defund police. And it's like it's 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 so far removed from a reasonable approach to how we deal with it. You know what I mean? Yeah, it's been it's just been a crazy situation, I think, for, you know, me and Shelby or anyone doing this work. Like for me, um, like I was in sports journalism before I got it, you know, the whole political thing. And then so wait, you're both sports. Yeah, yeah. Well, no, she, like, she, well, she, she played in the game. I was more <laughs> the, the sidelines guy. But like, I didn't even know what a Republican or Democrat was to like 2018. To like wow. fully switch. And then now that I started reporting on, you know, a lot of these protests and marches, unrest, people, unrest, the unresters. <laughs> um, I'll have people from my hometown, you know, message me, message me, and be like, why are you, you know, why are you portraying Black Lives Matter the movement like this? And I, and I literally have to be like, I didn't have, I didn't have no idea it was like this. Till I was on the ground. Like, yeah. I didn't know they were attacking press and like attacking business owners and doing this till I was on the ground. You know, like, you know, I'm not. There's no narrative here. We just literally just we just hit record. record. We upload it. Then everyone else, you know, gets to form their own opinion on the video. I think that's a strength that we really have that the Daily Call that you can't really find in other places. Yeah. I, I do want to say. 
just real quick though um i think that's what you touched on is really important that's why we all work at the caller which is people don't realize they just assume oh you work at the daily caller you're like a conservative and you you know you're tucker carlson basically Mm -hmm. and that's really not the case there's there's such a multitude of political ideologies of people who work at the daily Mm -hmm. caller and the newsroom is really just like a place where everybody hashes that out any story that comes up in the news that's complicated or difficult we're just talking about it with uncensored straight up and when i worked at nbc news uh that was it was the opposite. It was like a funeral home. Totally. There. Yep. Yeah. And Shelby and I were talking about this because we fight all the time when we're on the road. Oh my gosh, <laughs> little like, fights yeah. though. Little mm, fights. Little but at NBC, once a year, the people who've been working together for thirty years and they've kept it all bottled up oh, for no. thirty years <laughs> pops off and it's just a meltdown. So like, like never I seen. think but, I scared some of the rioters in Kenosha. I started <laughs> screaming at Richie oh my. in public. Yeah. At like midnight. Oh, yeah, those, yep. Over I remember what? it. Uh, he wanted me gonna, to follow him off. around like a little puppy dog because he was nervous because I'm a woman. <laughs> yeah. Oh, I, see I got myself is. in trouble actually. And then oh, he yeah. got himself. Yeah. <laughs> so, so uh, when you mentioned you wouldn't recommend it, I I agree. Don't go to jail. Yes. But there is something to like. W- w- we're too comfortable. You know, like uh, a young, young people yeah. in this country yeah. don't understand how bad things could be. Yes. And that includes many of these protesters who are like, burn it all down, defund this, abolish this. And I don't mean all of them because I know like there are regular people who just are angry about police brutality and stuff, though I think they're being manipulated for sure. These people have never experienced real hardship. That's why it's funny to me when like you, you mentioned that some of the women are crying and some of them are just like, well, this is what's happening. Yeah, you can. T- I, I, I'd be willing to bet the women who are like, this is what's happening are the people who have actually experienced something hard and they and they've been toughened up and they understand you're going to be okay. You don't like you don't need to worry about this stuff. So like I remember when when you know every every time I've been <laughs> arrested more than once, I just like all right, you know, I'm not going to die in a jail cell. I'm not going it's going to be a day or something. It's and, and then I you know, nothing ends up happening at it. It's just I got I got some bunk arrests, skateboarding, you know. They want to they don't like skateboarders. <laughs> but there, but there is there are many circumstances I've been in where you can clearly tell people who have who are who are wads of cookie dough who are you know marshmallows and the people who have actually experienced real hardship so it's 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 really great i did a, a i don't know have you guys done any hostile environment training no this is well fun unless stuff. you count like growing up with my family <laughs> where did you grow up in New York. Yeah. Nah, probably I'm not. one of five. Yeah, I got oh, Salvadorian yeah. parents. My mom so. is a prosecutor, yeah, yeah. so Ooh. you can imagine. She, she used to tell us democracy stops at the front door. Oh, man. Wow. <laughs> That's awesome. No so, joke. Uh, <laughs> so I, I had been covering civil unrest, riots. When I say civil unrest, I mean like bordering on revolution. I mean that in the literal sense, not this like, we're not going to call protesters protests. Uh, so I've covered protests, unrest, like actual revolution, and rioting. And so when I started working for the ABC News Company, they were like, everybody's got to have hostile environment training. And I was like, I should be giving the training because I've been doing this, you know, for X many years. And most of these people, like even the people who are doing the training don't have the most up to date understanding of the modern technology and what's going on. And, you know, I got a, a, a whisper, wink, wink. It's the insurance company, dude. Like insurance company wants all the reporters to have special training. But I tell you what, man, when we were doing the training. They paired me up with a, a, a former Marine, fresh out of the Marines, and we, they could not get us. <laughs> so like the way these trainings work is like they have fake landmines, you know, so they like, they, they put these things in the ground that are hidden. And when you step on it, it sprays, you know, ink or something. And they're like, oh, you got landmine. And there are a bunch of <laughs> scenarios where they try and get you. And it, it was a lot of fun. It's really fun the way these, so like, uh, I got to participate as a local villager. 
And they do this thing where they have the news crew come in and then that's all they do. And they tell us, the, you know, because it's like, it's your turn to play the villagers. I pickpocketed people. It was amazing. I was like taking their stuff and they were panicking. <laughs> but uh, when I was there with the Marine, it was really amazing because we actually escaped their final terrorist scenario. So they did the scenario where our car, we're like, your, your, your assignment now from the editor is to interview the leader of a terrorist organization. And we're going to go. Everything's been arranged. Your security is with you. And it was really cool. Like the SUV pulls up. We hear gunshots. And then, like, we see people on the ground. Me and the Marine guy were gone. Like, we, we were out of there. And then we hear from a distance, where'd you go? <laughs> and we're laughing. And I'm like, this yes. guy gets it. <laughs> and then, they, and then, but, but it was so bunk because the trainer guy goes, you guys are dead. And we started laughing. Oh, and they're like, come back. And we, we came back. And they were like, you, uh, you, you, you got uh, the, the terrorists killed you. And I was like, dude, we immediately both went for dead ground. And we immediately serpentined through trees. We were gone. And we know it. Cause this guy, this guy knows the Marine dude knows better than I do. But I was like, we, we were, we were laughing in the woods, hearing them in the distance, upset that we like beat their training. That's but amazing. so, so anyway, I bring that up just because like when you're on the ground and I, and you guys probably know this too, like with you, you can, you can see when you see journalists or whatever, which one of them has actually got experience and which ones are like the local desk reporter who was asked to go out and film this stuff. Cause I'll tell you what, man, when I was in Ferguson, there's a couple of things I love. Two instances in Ferguson where gunshots are ringing out and I'm on the deck and then I look up and I see one of these local reporters going, are those fireworks? And then one of my one of my favorite all time blunders is from CNN when they were in Ferguson and the gunshots go off and it's this woman and she goes, what? Uh, oh, 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 oh. And she's just like waving her arms and like, I'm like, stop standing there waving your arms. They're shooting bullets. Get on the ground, and then she just like hobbles over like behind a building, and I'm like, oh my gosh. <laughs> when I was at, the first the first shots that went off when I was in Ferguson, I was standing by uh, one of the shops in the parking lot, and we heard uh, we heard a, a shot, and then I heard another shot, and I immediately just dove like I'm not I'm like I like belly flop, I put my hands down, slid, and I heard the whip crack over my head. The bullet hit the building. So the, the, like being on the ground and seeing these people who are sent out by local news, like they have no experience, no idea what to do. I'm not surprised. They're like, well, we got here at 750. We recorded our five minute hit and let's go home. (laughs) You good. You shouldn't be there. Yeah. But then it is really weird that you see like, like, especially with you guys in Kenosha, because all the footage out of Kenosha, you don't see any reporters anywhere. Mm -hmm. It's just literally people running around and all this chaos. Right. So uh, we, we should, let's let's uh, you guys want to talk about what, what went down in Kenosha and your experience with that stuff? Yeah. Where do where do where do we begin? <laughs> this is a crazy story. Well, what, one I thing mean... I wanted to kind of mention too, Tim, is is not also like we know when we're in Kenosha, we're like, obviously, we're we're you know running around covering all the crazy stuff, but also taking the time the next morning and like actually speaking to the business owners who were like mm-hmm. affected. Right. You know, right even right. even because like when I was going down, I think I woke up at like 730, hit the streets by like eight and was interviewing the business owners. I didn't even see local news like talking to these folks. No. And a lot of these folks, this is like their whole livelihood is destroyed, you know. And I think that's a, another big mistake is that news is not making is like taking the time to tell the stories of the people who were like affected. in these situations. It's like almost not news. Yeah. It's and it's been I mean, insane. Like I think when uh the night of the I mean. Show you guys were actually right there. I think you guys should should tell your side of the of your Kenosha story because you guys well, the were fir- in the midst the, of it. The shooting happened the second night. The first night was when everything burned down. So so the first night, uh, these people burned down. I mean, entire streets. Wow! Like to the ground. Um, it was 
the probably the worst destruction I've seen covering. Yeah, because we didn't see riots. anything like that. Because they basically, you know, attacked that courthouse, and then when they got back, you know, once once they got back there from the courthouse, they just ran rapid on Kenosha. Like yeah. I, I've never seen anything like that. I remember just walking and just seeing like Buildings. ten people, um, uh, you know, attacking the car dealership, setting cars on fire, going into store. It was like a it was like a free for all. There wasn't know, a police presence. You didn't even yeah. know where to turn. If you turned to the left, you had footage. If you turned to the right, there was something going on mm. behind you. There was something. I mean, it was it, it was crazy. I think that's where the, that's a good place to start the story at night of though, because uh, what happened was we all got pushed out from outside the courthouse uh, around the fence, and all the protesters were pushed out to the park and then a block beyond, which is where that car dealership was burned out that everybody saw on the first and second night massive fire, car fires but across the street from there shelby and i encountered uh some individuals who were working for that business who had power washers and they're trying to put out the car fires that was oh. on the second night the shooting happened on the third night so i went in to get wi-fi at the uh hotel and i saw on twitter that there were armed individuals and sh you guys were still out there and i i saw that those videos and those photos of the armed individuals in front of the same business that we had just seen the guy with the power washer uh, the previous night uh, because the fire department was nowhere to be seen. And so that's why I went out um, thinking, well, there's a story right there. You know, why are these armed individuals here? And that was actually, I arrived there 15 minutes before the shooting. And Whoa. that's when I interviewed Kyle Rittenhouse. So it was just that short a period of time. What happened? Well, basically I was just walking towards that business and I saw at least three armed individuals on the ground and and then like three up top as well. And it was really dark up on the, on the, the top roof. of the building, which is a little bit intimidating when you, when you know these guys are armed and you can't even really make out what, what they're holding or what they're doing. But I just said very loudly, are any of you guys willing to do an interview? Because again, we're trying to interview the full story here. Right. So not only the protesters, not only the rioters, the unresters, the cops, but also the people who are, you know, there, whatever to defend the small business or whatever they were doing. I just wanted to find out. And Kyle volunteered himself and basically interviewed him for three minutes. And then he mentioned that he was a, a trained medic. He mentioned that he was there to, to protect the small business that he was standing in front of. And then he said, with one other armed individual, he said, we're going to go out and see if any of the protesters who have just been cleared out need medical attention. Do you want to come with us? And this is all on the internet. You can see it all of the video that I recorded. So wait, um, he, he, he said, he told you he was going to go provide medical assistance to protesters and he wanted, he asked you to come with him. Correct. Or? And that's when we started walking in the direction of, where the shooting eventually took place. And actually, I was trying to find Shelby at the time as well. She Don't was just curse. about a block away. Oh, did, I, did, I, no, did I swear? But, no. you, you, oh. but when you hang up the phone. Oh, yeah, yeah. Don't <laughs> curse. Yeah, because I'm getting to that part of the story. Good point. Good point. You can curse. Thank you. Thank you. There's um, no hard rules. But, so I, I, I was walking with them. And as we were walking, he's shouting, medical, anyone need medical? And that was drawing a lot of attention just in general. Young kid with an AR-15 shouting, at a riot. That uh, <laughs> doesn't sound smart, dude. And in hindsight, Jeez. it wasn't very smart to walk along with him. But, um, you know, I basically was, I was wondering what these people, why they were mad at him, why they were yelling at him as he was asking if anybody needed medical. And actually four individuals shouted something like, we remember you from earlier. And that's actually when I parted ways with him uh, after the interview because I wanted to get their story. I wanted to hear why they were mad at Kyle. And so I walked over to those individuals and you can see in the video it's this guy with like bright yellow pants and they were not happy about me recording so i turned my phone off i went with my go-to of you know pulling out a white claw to defuse the situation <laughs> and offering it up and uh 
I talked with them for a couple of minutes and just asked them, you know, why they were mad. They mentioned a confrontation with him uh, when they were jumping on some cars earlier, but clearly they recognized him from earlier and they were, they were very mad about it. And the only thing that stuck out to me was that Kyle, you know, you can see on the video, actually, as I'm walking behind him, he kind of looks at them, smiles and walks away. And I don't know if we've been to enough of these for me to know, for us to know that that stuff can descend into chaos pretty quickly. Yeah. And that's actually after I finished speaking with them is when I saw Kyle running with fire extinguisher in one hand and the gun in the other. And so I saw him running. I wanted to know why is he running? What's he running towards? With a fire extinguisher. With a fire extinguisher. What's going on here? So actually that's when I got on the phone with Shelby. I started jogging after him and that's the kind of thing where you're like, okay, some kind of new, something is about to go down. Right. I said, Shelby, where are you? And we were talking, we were trying to triangulate where we were in relation to each other. And that's right as I caught up to Rittenhouse, I was yards back from where he had, he was stopped in the road. And that's when some yelling started. And I told Shelby, Oh, swear word. I got to go. <laughs> and that's immediately when Rosenbaum started to pursue Rittenhouse. And you can see on the video what happened from there. But basically Rittenhouse sees him advancing and like does a juke and runs into the direction of the car lot where the shooting eventually took place. And me being a, a dumb idiot um, <laughs> who lectured Shelby about not getting into unsafe situations ran after uh, Rosenbaum, who was running after Rittenhouse. And oh, wow. that's when there was a pop that went off. That was a gunshot. Somewhere to our, well, at the time, there were so many fireworks and, right. and no uh, flashbangs going off that it wasn't clear to me what it was at the time. But what it was clear is that the, the moment that went off, Kyle stops and turns around. And we were both trailing him. And at that point, he had his gun pointed 45 degrees at the ground. And written, uh, Rosenbaum was was advancing at him still. Mm. And there wasn't much distance. So it was only a matter of a second or two from when he stopped to when Rosenbaum was on top of him. And that's when basically Rosenbaum lunged for the front portion of Rittenhouse's gun. He shouted something that I also can't say uh, without swearing. But you can see on the video what he said right before he lunged. And... Did he, did he make physical contact with Rittenhouse's they gun? They were extremely, extremely close, but he didn't. And Rittenhouse actually dodged with the rifle around his lunge. Wow. And I only know that because my focus, the moment that he turned around, went onto the barrel of his gun. Yep. Because I realized that I was now in the crossfire of whatever was about to go down. And actually, when he swung the rifle to his left, my right, my first instinct was to go to my left. But I realized Rosen, that's where Rosenbaum was and that his rifle was going to return to there so i actually stepped in the direction where he swung it oh, dude. and that's you know basically right as he swung it back is when he Ro rosenbaum was falling forward he fired uh what i thought were three or four shots it was really rapid yeah um but it looks like on the video it was four and that's when rosenbaum collapsed to the ground and you can actually hear more pops after that and then and, yeah and then you pulled your shirt off well the, the crazy part is is that i didn't realize the night of is that uh after Rittenhouse shoots, it looked to me like he ran away. And then I ran because there's other pops where Rosenbaum was all, was also behind a car and the shooting was going off. The pops are coming from this side. So I got behind the car. I said, like, I'm going to flip you over really slowly. He was basically non-responsive, but breathing. Not really breathing. Breathing. I mean, yeah. I mean like in the video, it was like girdling. You can hear it in the yeah. video. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. And that's actually, I didn't realize until I saw the footage afterwards, Rittenhouse runs around and actually shows up at my side. And I just saw a pair of legs next to me as I'm crouching over the body. And I just said, what are you doing? Call 911. Not realizing that it was the Rittenhouse. Yeah. And I just saw his hand reach into his phone. And that's Shelby actually 
right after that, people started to arrive. Rittenhouse runs right past Shelby. And that's when you can see on the video is very chaotic. But basically, you know, we were trying to find where the holes were, how we could apply pressure to the wounds. Uh, My dad was an ER doc. And so, you know, I just I don't think I think he probably had some critiques for how I handled it (laughs) medically. But once somebody said there's a hospital across the street, it was clear to me that we weren't doing anything beneficial there. And this guy had life threatening wounds. So it was literally right across the street. And from the moment the shooting happened to the moment that we got to the hospital, because I've looked on my phone. Uh, from the calls that I made when I got to the hospital, that that was about six minutes. So we got him you, there very quickly. You you loaded him into your car. So I actually carried him across the street with a couple of other oh, individuals, okay. and you could see on the video how chaotic it is. And actually, as I'm loading him into the, we as we were running across, this guy who worked at the hospital said, "Load him into the SUV. It'll be quicker if we do it that way." Pops the tailgate, and Shelby was right there as well. You can see her in the video. She's wearing my backpack, um, and that's actually as we're loading him in. Somebody was, I felt like something hit me, hitting me in the side of the head. I thought I was getting bumped. And then somebody connected with the side of my face. Someone punched you. Someone punched me very hard. And it was only once he hit the side of my face that I realized it was a punch. And I turned and gave like, as I'm getting into the back of the car, like a little brother kind of kick, uh, you know, me on the middle of three boys. So I'm pretty good at that. <laughs> and that's when the medic or the hospital uh, employee pulled away. And at that point, Rosenbaum was basically barely breathing and he had like a very, very weak pulse. And it was pretty clear that was. Why did, why did, why did you get punched? Well, you can see in the video right after the shooting, somebody says, did you, did you shoot him? Yeah. And I say, what me F word? No. And so I think that just indicates to me that people were looking for who did it. They were angry. It yeah. was people were shouting. And I think whoever punched me thought that somehow, I don't know, that I was involved or whatever. Have you guys seen the video that Rittenhouse's lawyer put out breaking down the whole night? Yeah. So uh, have you guys have you, you've yeah. seen it? So they identified uh, the guy who, sh- who fired first, right? So bef- what, what triggered Kyle to turn around? They, they, they say, this is the guy. He's holding the gun. And it, at first, people were reporting New York Times that he fired into the air. But when you actually watch the video slow down, it doesn't look like he fired in the air. It looks like he was shooting at Kyle or... I'm presumably Kyle, but that there were, I think, three more shots not from Kyle mm-hmm. after he shot Rosenbaum. And it was reported that one of the hits to Rosenbaum went in his back. Yeah. Now, so my question is, you're there. Was this because Rosenbaum was spun around somehow? Or do you think maybe he got shot by somebody else? Based on what I saw, Rosenbaum was falling forward as he lunged. And I do remember the sensation of something going past my legs and it's not clear now looking afterwards whether that like when exactly that took place because all the shots were such rapid succession but with respect to where rosenbaum was hit as he was falling forwards it would make sense that actually he could have been hit there by rittenhouse because he was falling forward and then his head goes down and and for me it was like one of those things it's like that in the movie snatch like you always think you know like when you're like in a dangerous situation, you might die. You'll do something like heroic. Like I kind of just did. Oh, like yeah. <laughs> I, but I mean, I had my eyes uh, fixed great. on the barrel, but I, my, I, he fired so quickly that it was very difficult for me to determine where that rifle actually connected with his body. Cause they were so close. They almost like he fell like almost into him. Yeah. They were that close. So it was, it was hard for me to tell specifically which shot went where, but the fact that he was falling forward like that. And Rittenhouse was shooting as he was falling down. Really? Yeah. I mean, you can see in the video, he fires that first shot, second shot, 
And I think just because of the momentum that Rosenbaum had, that the moment that he got hit, that just that momentum continued to carry him forward. Interesting. And you can see he landed right on his face. And so that's that's consistent with the fact that he lunged for for the front portion of the road. So well, I'll ask more about the other guys in Kenosha, but you guys were there. And I don't know I don't know to what extent you witnessed everything beforehand. But would you consider what Kyle did to be self-defense? I definitely can't comment on that because my role in this situation is a, I'm a witness. And I see. All I can say is what I saw. Yeah. And I saw Rosenbaum reach for the front portion of that gun. And I saw Rittenhouse dodge it and shoot. Now, I'm not going to comment on the laws in Wisconsin. Yeah. What you know, constitutes self-defense. I'm not a lawyer. I'm a video director. Right. But I saw what I saw from very close range. And like I said, given how focused I was on where the rifle was going, it was that was very, very clear. Can you talk about the charges uh, on Kyle at all? I think they're I can, public. I can, I can try to. I'm, I'm, you know, I don't want to. I'm also... Cause, cause you're a witness. Yeah. I, I don't want to, yeah, if, yeah. if you, if, if it's too much, like, you know, we'll just, we'll just let me know. I'll, I'll let you know if I can't. Yeah. Well, yeah. so, so at this point then you're, you're at the hospital. So you didn't see any of the other stuff with like the other guys. I saw the, the guy who got shot in the, the bicep. Did he, I saw uh, him come in. Whoa. Immediately after I loaded uh, Rosenbaum onto the gurney, I was covered in blood and I was actually preparing to go into the bathroom to rinse the blood off. And that's when he came in with a, two police officers and they said, we have a shooter. Uh, we have another uh, shooting victim. We have another shooting victim. And I looked at his arm and I was like, man, like that's his bicep was gone. It was gone. In, yeah. it, I mean, I'm, I'm sorry to be graphic for people that are listening, but you can see in the video, his, the, 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 the meat of his arm vaporize. Right. Like, I'm not kidding. Like it turns into dust. I like, cannot yeah. believe he didn't lose his arm. And the arm. bones were broken in there too. I mean, it was, yeah, wow. Sure, yeah. So did you guys see, were you, were you guys there when then Kyle ran and like what happened next? So I was right across the street during that whole thing. So as soon as the shots rang out earlier, you were talking about the dumb people who like don't go to the ground. Yeah. So yeah. I ran <laughs> towards the gunshots. Oh my. Wow. Because I was genuinely worried that Richie, who is not just my coworker, but my friend, mm -hmm. um, was shot. And so I was like, I, don't know what I would have done if he was shot, but you know I needed to make sure that the team was okay. And as I was, I ran across the street. I have, I think I got video of it actually. Um, Kyle was running right past me, and there's people chasing him, saying, "You know, he's a shooter. Why'd you shoot him?" Um, and Kyle is sort of running, but then sometimes stopping and turning around and sort of like flailing his gun wildly. So I decided, you know, let's not chase after the guy with the flailing gun who people say just shot someone. Good yeah. call. And let's make sure the team's okay and everyone's okay. So I ran towards where the first shooting victim was. And that was, this was all took like 10, ten seconds. Yeah, yeah. Um, and when I got there, Richie was just, there was a guy on his back who, oh, he was shirtless, right? Yeah. And I was like, oh my God. Like, white guy, shirtless on his back. I had no idea who it was. And then I saw another shirtless person. I was like, what? no, what's going on? Where'd the shirts shirtless. go? <laughs> um, helping him. And I realized after a few seconds that it was Richie. And so I was like, okay. You know, and th at this point, there was sort of a crowd gathering around the body, which is never helpful. 
yeah. when you're trying to move a body. So I um, stayed pretty close, like right behind. I have video of the whole thing. Um, but at one point, I think as they were trying to get get him down um, the the driveway of the hospital, people weren't moving. And I remember screaming like, move. But what are you doing? Like, get out of the way. This car can't drive. Um, and it was so chaotic and it just makes the situation so much worse. And then I, uh, you know, Richie went to the hospital and I sort of was just roaming the street, not the, you know, like what just happened. And then more shots rang out. And at that yeah. point, I just dove behind a car with like two other random people. And as we're sitting there, firecrackers go off right behind us and all three of us jumped so high in the air because like and this one guy i remember just curses at nobody like who's who's throwing fireworks right now like are you kidding me um and, and that those second round of gunshots we heard was the was the second shooting which was just up the block and i thought it was really crazy that it took both of these shootings must have happened it probably took total seven or eight minutes maybe less but police officers were down the street because they had been out all night pushing the protesters and the riders back and i just was shocked that it took them so long after the first round of gunshots to get there because that seems like a long time they're two blocks away there was a lot of confusion too because i was about three blocks and the shots go off and i was with another reporter named kaylin I just looked at him and said, we're running to the hotel. So we ran to the hotel, and I looked at Ken and said, let's wait 20 minutes and let's get back on the scene. Wait, so, so when you heard the first shots, you went to the hotel? I just ran because I, I was already headed that way. And then when I heard it, we ran. Then, like I said, there was so much confusion because so much, so much chaos going on. And then Elijah Schaefer texts me, another reporter, and he says, stay in the hotel. People are doing drive-by shootings. So at that time, oh. I look at Ken, I'm like, whoa. So now we have people like drive-by shooting. This is insane. And then... Kaylin's like, what, what should we do? I said, let's wait like 15 minutes. And then we, we went, we went back to the scene and we could actually still see like the casings on the ground. We were there right when that, like the cops were doing like the whole investigation. And I went, then there was a witness. There was a couple of witnesses. So I went to go speak with them. I was, you know, went to go speak to them to get their story. And they also thought people were doing drive by shooting. Wow. So at that time, I had no idea that Richie was in the hospital. I had no idea that like it was Kyle to shoot. Cause at, at that time, I'm thinking, okay, it's multiple cars. I'm hearing this from multiple people like Elijah has already told me this, a witness. And, you know, it was like till hours later, Shelby told me what really happened. And I was just shocked, you know, because it was like, what the heck? My my boss was in the midst of it. And, um, yeah, I mean, I, I couldn't believe it. I, I didn't find out what happened to Richard till about like five, six in the morning. Is this like have you guys covered riots or anything before this year? I covered like I was covering because I was living in California. So, like, I was covering like marches and like protests like the craziest stuff that i was covering was like right at the right before i started coming with the color was i was covering like the reopened protests in california but nothing i mean there's no, nothing compared to this at all but you you are not in richie well yeah i basically i started the collar in may of 17 and before that, i was working as a video editor for mark levin so i was not on the ground at all but starting in, in may of 17 there were obviously there was unrest yeah uh, plenty of it and so we've been covering that since the beginning, but I, I think the difference here is that in this election year, everything is being polarized and cast into one narrative box or another. And so I think the vacuum that exists now in terms of people being unwilling to cover the protests honestly is 
much bigger than it was in the past. So when we were in DC, uh, it, right after, you know, in DC after the inauguration and then like Charlottesville and all that stuff, I think there was, there was no shortage of coverage of those events. And that's, hasn't been the case, uh, in the past six months. So I think that the, the opportunity that our team has to, to actually go there and really show what's happening is greater now because it's more important now than well, because before. The risk is going up. They're, they're not letting people film. They're attacking mm -hmm. people. That's also true. And, and I think that that was not the case in protests leading up to this summer. They've become incredibly aware of the fact that if c crimes are perpetrated, all the people who are there who are pressed are going to be the ones who get them in trouble. Yep. And so they, they've known this for a long time. But they've just now, like, it wasn't, you, when you go to one of these uh, unrests, whatever you want to call it, and I, I do think it's fair to, to draw the distinction between a protest, unrest, and riot, because unrest might have, like, some clashes with cops, but they're not burning things down, and, you know, and a protest is, like, people waving little signs and singing Kumbaya, and then a riot is just wanton destruction and everything. But for the longest time, they would say, don't let anyone film, because you'll get, you'll get arrested, use it as evidence. Now they really know. Now they've been active mm -hmm. in organizing. But uh, but uh, just just to clarify too, is is this like the the first time you've been covering riots and protests and stuff? Yeah, I mean, year? I when I traveled as a professional tennis player, I um, there was what year was it where the with the Taksim Square in Istanbul? Uh, oh, that was uh, twenty thirteen. Yeah, so I did go there because I oh was, I was there. Uh, oh really? Yeah. yeah, maybe I saw you. But I it was uh, I was very much because I always. I always wanted to do sort of this field correspondence. Um, I studied journalism in college. And so when I would go to these places, I w if there was something interesting going on, I would go just more for myself, you know, just to check it out. And so I, I did do that. Um, but really, these were my first. Uh, I tried in 2019 when I first got to the caller and there, was, there were some issues because I was a female. Um, so I broke that barrier down and breaking glass ceilings. Yeah. And, uh, yeah. And, um, so there, well, there, depending on which country to go, there's definitely, there's definitely considerations that news organizations are becoming scared to address. So there was a news organization that sent a female reporter to Tahrir Square in Egypt. And of mm -hmm. course, men took her. Yeah. You know, and I it's mean, not it's totally time. fair. It, I, I get it. Um, but I think it, you can't blanket. You know, all females sure. uh, cannot yeah. do this. I, th stuff. I think also, in a weird, so Tahrir Square, I, I was actually there in December of 2010 because I was studying Arabic in college and I lived in Jordan. And that was right before the Arab Spring started. But there, as a female in a public place like that, I actually think Shelby being on the ground at these riots actually is much less threatening than Jorge or I. And as a result, she's able to blend in a lot Absolutely. more. And yep. I think actually, in it, despite me, well, you can call it asking you to walk around like a puppy dog, but I'm just trying. <laughs> my, my boss, Je Jeff Ingersoll, shout out to him. Uh, he said, if you, if you, if you, what did he say? If Shelby gets a black eye and you're not in the ICU, I'm going to kill you. Oh, okay. So, but it is good. I mean, I have to, I have to give credit to the caller because, uh, if you really want to do something, and you can prove that you're capable of doing it. The freedom there is, I'm, you know, it's an amazing place to start your career. It's an amazing place to work. Um, and I think 
that makes it really different from a lot of other media companies. So the, the reason I ask is just to, you know, get your sense of where where we are now. Curious if you have any, you know, understanding of or, or any perspective and experience with prior years. But uh, we've seen a bunch of these articles, a bunch of these tweets. They're threatening to riot over Amy Coney Barrett. They're threatening to riot just again because of Louisville, because of Brenna Taylor. Now, now, uh, uh, Jack Posobiec tweeted that there's, you know, Kenosha is preparing an announcement. Mm. We'll see what happens. Mm. Some people think it's about Kyle Rittenhouse. I doubt it. It's probably about the officers not getting charged or something. Personally, based on that news alone, I kind of feel like it's gonna, it's gonna kick off. I mean, they're threatening it for a variety of reasons. So I guess my question is, do you agree? And do you guys see this getting worse over the next couple of months? Like, are we gonna see, are we gonna see more Kyle Rittenhouse situations? I mean, I don't want to say like it's going to get worse, but to be honest, I, I mean, I think it is from what I've been seeing just because the country's so divided. And then like, I feel like the election is just going to like send this thing overboard. Um, one big thing for me that I kind of keep, keep telling people is, you know, whether if, if Biden wins, um, the right's not going to accept it. If Trump wins, the left's not going to accept it. And we're just in a, a crazy time. You know, the women's march, like I said, moved up their event to October 17. You know, usually they wait till after the election. And, you know, I don't know what's, what's going to happen, but it definitely seems that, uh, it's not getting any, any better. I mean, from what, from what I've seen on the ground, it's definitely, it's definitely not getting any, any better. What do you think, Shelby? I don't know. I, I would agree. I think yeah, your question about if there's going to be more Rittenhouse situations, you know, you, you hope not, of course. Um, I, I think that there's, there's a definite, you know, something to be said, 17 year olds with, whatever i'm not a gun person what did he have a 223 the, the big was it an ar-15 yeah, yeah the ar-15 going into these very volatile situations where things can change at the blink of an eye like that you're not trained for that you know what i mean and 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 if you want to go and whatever reason he had for being there um will we see it again again you hope not but can i say no, of course not. I, think, I, I, think I can't see, I can't predict the future, but I do think that, um, there, there will be riots. I think there's been ups and downs all this year, uh, and, and we'll see an up again. And I think we're, we're starting to see kind of a, a portion of America that is getting really sick and tired of seeing their cities destroyed. And it's getting to a point where they're saying, if I have to pick up a gun and I have to go out there and do it myself, then I will. And that's what that Kyle Rittenhouse situation was. Is and That's dangerous. Yeah. That, yep. And I think it's, it's, you know, it's not a good president for our, our country to be in. We'll, you know, we'll, we'll see what happens. But I mean, when we have the destruction that we're seeing, you're going to have a portion of people who feel like they are not protected and they have to do something for the community. And we're going to continue to see that until, you know, we see some type of you know law and order restored you know hopefully coming into this new year with this election but like i said i i don't think so what do you think richie yeah I, well what i think is that what i've noticed is an ongoing theme from across all these protests and we were talking about this yesterday is that the individuals who are out there everybody has a cause right and the ones who are actually engaging in the violence are perhaps the most lost in terms of how much they're putting into it and how much they hate, for example, law enforcement. Um, so what we saw in Kenosha was basically two different sides that had causes that they really believed in. And in a situation where there's no law enforcement, well, they were close, but clearly they weren't, you know, doing their normal jobs. They were doing riot control. 
they weren't, you know, trying to keep obviously Kyle Rittenhouse from what were they doing? They weren't protecting the businesses. The windows were getting smashed. The fires were starting. Well, I think that actually comparing DC's riot control to Kenosha, I mean, DC is literally, they're babysitting that crowd the entire time that they're out marching. And there's a little bit of irony there that, you know, the the cops are stopping the traffic for the protesters who want to stop the traffic to keep them safe. But in Kenosha, that was not the case. And that's that's what I'm saying. Is it the first or the second night? Because the first night yeah. we weren't there. That's when things really popped off. The mm-hmm. second night was when everything burned to the ground. The third night was the shooting, uh, and the second night I think Kenosha was just so unprepared, mm-hmm. um, and and it caused these individuals, these armed individuals, to come out in, in the third night. They were there the second night protecting one gas station, but there was only, what, three or four of them? Mm-hmm. And then the second, or the third night, when the shooting happened, there were, uh, you know, double or triple, I would say, that amount. Um, and the more small cities where that kind of stuff happens, the law enforcement isn't trained for that. And so that's the reason really why I'm using D.C. as an example. And if that just continues to spread across our country, I do think... You, you guys worse. know that ammo shortages across the country you can't get nine millimeter i mean i went to uh i've been out to i think two different shops and they got nothing they got no ammo because everybody and i was at a shop recently guy walks in and he walks up and he's like you got nine millimeter and the guy's no and apparently it's like a dollar around now up from like a dime or something it's like it's just it's sold out what's what what's interesting about it is that for one liberals have started buying up guns. These people who normally passively just said, yeah, gun control, all of a sudden they're gun, o- gun owners, record gun sales. Ammo gets bought up like crazy. So what, what, what does that mean for small towns, towns like Kenosha, where law enforcement isn't getting the job done, where we, we see these district attorneys not prosecuting? I, I, that's what I'm worried about, man. I'm worried. I think Kyle should not have been out there. But I think the police should have been out there. I think the rioters shouldn't have been. Like, there's, there's multiple steps we have to clear before we get to blaming Kyle for being, uh, you know, I think a dumb kid. It's riots shouldn't happen. It was a failure on, on multiple ends. Absolutely. And then finally you get this kid. Now they're smearing him and calling him all these crazy things. I don't think he was being smart. It sounds basically what you guys are saying it sounds like he's really dumb, waving the gun, you know, running, like not knowing what he was doing. And apparently it wasn't even his gun. It was given to him by somebody else. So what I see there is, I'm more concerned about the bigger picture than I am him as an individual. The bigger picture is that you're going to get more inexperienced people. They're going to be handed guns. What happens when there's a small town in, I don't know, Pennsylvania? You know, maybe maybe it's a town of like 30,000 people. So it's not, you know, the biggest town, but that's 30,000 people. And what happens when the rioters show up and then some dude hands a handgun like, laws be damned. We're not, we're not going to burn. Take this weapon. And that person's never fired before. It's, it's, you know, we, we can talk about the laws and gun control all day and night, but when it comes to someone marching down your street with a torch or a brick or a Molotov, people are going to be like, I don't care. You know, when, when people talk about whether Kyle should have had the weapon or not, I mean, that's, look, the kid picked up the weapon when he's like not legally allowed to have it because he was, he was 17, not 18. What do you think people are going to do? It's, it's like, it's, it's, you come to that neighborhood, they're going to say, I can't, I don't have the luxury of worrying about what comes after with these, these, these laws. I have to worry about right now the guy in front of my house with the Molotov. That's what I'm worried about happening. And we kind of saw that example too when we were, um, in Louisville, Kentucky. Um, there was that moment that, that, that I was able to capture with the, the Middle Eastern business owner. 
uh, where you just have this huge mile. Oh, that was uh, uh, what was his name? Fari. Yeah, Fari. Yeah. Fari. yeah, and um, I went. I visited him earlier in the in the day before I, I even got that video. Well, so, so, so real quick, this is a guy who was like surrounded and was refusing to say Black Lives Matter. Is yeah, that him? yeah, and the thing was is um, so he has a smoke shop. He then like right there, he's leasing another business that was firebomb the night before. So Whoa. I I showed up when they were still doing an investigation. And you know he was very very upset. They don't want to they don't want to speak to me, and I don't I don't blame him. You know he just had a business firebomb. And then later that night, um, you know me and Shubby are kind of following this crowd. And then that's when we see I, I just see this huge you know kind of a, like a mob start to approach him. And then they they come up to him and say you know does Breonna Taylor's life matter? Does does you know Black Lives Matter? They're trying to get him to say, and he you know he wouldn't say that. You know he he was chilling there with, with his gun. But even that situation could have ended you know bad. I mean he was he you know he was he was cool, calm, and collective. Um, but just we're just seeing those type of examples all across the country where people don't even trust the cops anymore to restore law and order. They have to literally sit in front of their business throughout the whole night if they have to, just to make sure it doesn't, you know. And get all it to the takes ground. is one person with a gun who doesn't quite know what they're doing, or gets frazzled, or gets surrounded, and that's literally and those all people were, were, were kind of charging him they were kind of get, they were, they were getting, getting in his aggressive. face and they were, they were yelling at him so i mean like i said you know thank god he was cool calm and collective but it, like you know like we said if it was another individual who was inexperienced as soon as people charge up they could already they already like you know yeah be gun you know gun swinging so it was just a you know crazy moment to capture and then you know when we posted it's just it's opening americans eyes to like what what's happening on the ground it's crazy to me that uh in the debates joe biden says antifa doesn't exist and it's not just Antifa. It's just, I, I think the bigger issue is far left extremism. It's crazy to me that you get like from the FBI, oh, oh, you know, right wing and white supremacy are the biggest threats. And I'm like, they, they talk about the Proud Boys. And you know, I, I was saying this earlier. If 300 Proud Boys like started marching around my neighborhood, you know what I would do? I'd do a little bit of nothing. I wouldn't care. Like when, when the Proud Boys have come out and they're, they're left to their own devices, they just wave little American flags and then get drunk. And then they leave and they yell Uhuru or whatever it is they do. If I heard that Black Lives Matter or Antifa was coming, I'd, I'd pack up and, and get out. I'd, I'm not going to stick around because we've already seen what happens when they come to your property and threaten you. The cops arrest you. You know, we, we see what happens to people who, who panic, not saying it's a good thing, but, you know, think they got to defend their neighborhood. They're going to arrest you. I'm not worried about Proud Boys. Nobody knows who they are. They're not even there's not even that many of them. But these, the far left unrest has been everywhere. I, I got a, I got a call from a friend in the far west, uh, Chicago suburbs, dinky, tiny little town. Yup. They showed up and they didn't even live there. That's scary. So then you see in the, in, in the debates, Joe Biden won't denounce it. Joe Biden's campaign staff bailing these people out in Minneapolis, Kamala Harris soliciting donations to bail these people out. I am worried that, you know, uh, right now there's the debate over whose America is this? Trump says in Biden's America, this is what you'll get. And people laugh and say, yeah, Trump, you're president now. And I'm like, nah, here's the way I see it. They deputized the uh, Oregon State Police in, Port in, in, in Oregon. They then deputized the Portland police. So now if you get arrested by the state troopers or the, or the Portland PD, the feds charge you. And that's freaking these people out. That's Trump. Joe Biden, his campaign staff bailing these people out. I'm worried that if Biden gets elected, it's going gonna, it's gonna to be let's negotiate and figure out what we can do to, 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 to appease them. Yeah, they might start. They, they might stop rioting. Because Biden and the Democrats are going to be like, here are the things you've asked for. Like, we're going to give in to your demands. I think if Trump gets elected, he's going to be like, he's going to put on the iron gauntlet and slam his iron fist. But I don't know, man. 
I don't know if you guys get that political on the issue because I think you're mostly just on the ground reporters and I'm talking about like the politics, but I don't know <laughs> if you have any thoughts on, you know, like, well, yeah, what do you think about the local government? What do you think about Trump's responses? Do you think they've said Trump's made it worse? Do you guys have any opinions? I mean, from, I mean, one, one thing that I could kind of take away is when we were like covering the, the situation in like Seattle and Chaz, uh, when we go, you know, I'll just, you know, go out to just speak to regular folks in Seattle. Even like, um, one thing I found interesting was like the Trump supporters and the, the conservatives, they got to a point where they really wanted Trump to intervene and not kind of use it as like a, like a political, playground you know because trump will come out and say hey well that's happening in democrat cities let them burn but people forget there's trump supporters in those democrat cities who do want you know to see their city or state you know see, see the law and order restored so that's one thing that i took away was folks in seattle and then conservatives in portland they got to the point where they actually want to see trump like actually come in and do something and not kind of see see them kind of bashing their their city so i yeah. found that interesting but you know every every city is different or every situation is different i think I think with the the situation in Louisville, the I think they wanted to avoid the chaos so bad that they just said, "Hey, we're going to declare unlawful assemblies that like right when curfew occurs, and we're just arresting everyone." And hopefully that sends a message. I mean, one thing that I I could kind of take away from my jail experience was uh, with, with the men that I was with is after they were in jail, they all almost all of them said, "We're not coming back anymore." Like this is it. Like after after being in here, this sucks. And mo like the people that I met, at least in my cell, were mostly out of towners. So I had people from Indiana, Detroit, and Ohio that were that were down in Louisville. And almost like nine nine out of ten of them said, "Dude, we're not coming back after this. Like this sucks." So I don't know if that's maybe needs to happen in more cities where you just mass arrest these people and just maybe send a message. Um, we'll see if that works because I know in Portland people were getting arrested and getting turned around in like three four hours already yep. out. Um, Coming right back. Yeah. So maybe maybe that's that's what needs to happen. Um, when we were like when I went to Atlanta after Rashard Brooks, it was the the unrest was bad because we were at the Wendy's where where he got killed and there was literally it was a no cop go zone so the the like the gangsters in that hood ran that Wendy's and they Whoa, literally did not yeah. let white people in and out so that was wait, actually, wait in Atlanta in Atlanta so that that was one of the good times that Shelby and Richie weren't with me yeah. because they probably wouldn't have been even let in into the no go zone Whoa. so. And, and I, that wasn't reported. Yeah. And the thing, one thing that bothered me when we were in Atlanta was that me and another reporter, Julio Rosas, we were blasting it on social media trying to show people the, the violence happening in that little section because it was a no go zone. The three nights that we were on the ground reporting, two of the nights shots were fired at the Wendy's. So we were, we were there for that. And not, almost it didn't get any traction with any, any big media or law enforcement. Even the very next week after we were gone is when that eight year old girl yeah. went to visit that, that, that vigil and got shot and killed. And it took, it took that moment for them to say, okay, we're sending National Guard. Same thing at Chaz. We went in there and like attacked it, attacked it, you know, trying to expose it. And then it took two people getting shot and killed for, for, mm. you know, for something to happen. But it's just been a, you know, every city's different. I don't know how you know what's the correct way to handle it but um it's kind of been interesting just to kind of uh, get that feedback one of the first things i asked you guys i was like oh you've clearly got time to be here you know we've had like you know for the past four months every day i wake up i'm like oh it's my more like i do a segment in the morning my mo my morning riot update for everybody turn on your car stairs on your way to work and listen about the riots because every night every single night there have been a couple over the past few nights and this actually this actually freaks me out i didn't talk about them because the politics stuff is getting bigger and I've mentioned before, that's actually a problem because it's normalized. Like the stuff happening in the Pacific Northwest. Now it's just like, oh, they're throwing firebombs again. You know, what, what, what am I really going to tell anybody? Hey, they threw firebombs again. All right. Have a nice day. 
I was talking to Richie about that earlier. Actually, we were sort of looking at where the unrest is right now. And I said something like, you know, it's uh, Portland and Seattle. Like they're not protest. They're not doing this for like any reason. It's just violence at this point. You know, they're it's not like Louisville where they began protesting over the Breonna Taylor, uh, the, the verdict. It's they're just doing it to cause chaos and so it's it's less interesting almost it's yeah because it you know that compared to going to louisville or potentially going to kenosha next week depending on what happens wait um, is, there, is there news coming out well we don't know what the news is but something's yeah. about to happen. something could, <laughs> allegedly oh, geez, is about dude. to happen mm-hmm. um so that's interesting because it's it, it something sparked it and in like portland it's just i don't know what's sparking it like they they got what they wanted right like the national guard stood down and then mm-hmm. people and there's still violence and chaos yeah. going on and yeah it didn't uh, work. well i i agree with that and i think what kenosha and my experience my personal experience with kenosha really the lesson that i learned there is the degree to which the facts on the ground are being neglected in favor of whatever narrative you want to push and i think both sides are guilty of that but specifically, uh, you know, with respect to Kyle, um, it was weeks before, you know, CNN, uh, Washington Post contacted me. Uh, and I think part of the reason is because my testimony, they just, it didn't fit what they wanted to put out there. Wait, so they didn't, they didn't like hit you up like, Hey, you're like the witness you were involved. They didn't talk to you or what? I think what, what happened was basically the, uh, Wednesday night after the shooting, I went on Tucker Carlson and my goal in this is one thing and one thing only. And that's to tell the public, the greater public, not just one echo chamber, what I saw. And I, I think after I went on Tucker, that really turned off half of the media establishment from what I had to say. And there's, uh, actually a, a CNN report that said that I supported the conservative belief that Rittenhouse acted in self-defense. It said that. But you never but said that. I said, Kyle told me that he was there to protect the small businesses. Right. And he mentioned an absence of police. So I wasn't supporting any claim. I'm, I'm playing a role here as a witness. So having experienced that, I really learned the degree to which, you know, the facts on the ground can just, just oh, don't absolutely. even matter anymore. So I think that's what's different now than you know, previous riots and stuff I, like you, that. I take a look at like uh, the press conference held by these doctors over COVID. Breitbart did a live stream of it and then Facebook deleted it Hmm. because it was misinformation. But I'm like, but it's just a press conference that was hosted by doctors and a Republican politician. Why is the news organization being struck down? Your story is similar in the sense that if the narrative doesn't fit, the news organization is you're a provocateur. You're not a journalist anymore. The moment you say something steps out of line, like Andy, no, all these news organizations say right wing provocateur. And it's like, what, what, what has he done other than just like, Here's people. Here's what they're doing. Here's a video of it. Nope. That makes him an activist, a provocateur. And I think part of it, too, has to do with how prominent, you know, Andy started getting. So uh, for those that aren't familiar, Andy Noe is just he's a journalist in the Pacific Northwest who covers far left violence. He calls it what it is. And now that he's gaining more and more followers as he's, you know, publishing a lot of this information and exposing what these people are doing. They know, now he's so, you know, well known. They say he's a right wing provocateur. I'm not, I'm, I don't, I don't know of any right wing groups that he's a, he's a part of. Like he's not partisan. He's not talking about voting for Trump. 
He, I think he said that he's like center right politically or something to that effect, but that erases his identity as a journalist. And that's it. It's, 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 I, I don't know, uh, if you guys can even comment on this, like why it is that you think the media is downplaying or even protecting the extremists that are causing the violence. I mean, I think, I mean, I just off the bat, I would say maybe it has to do something with it, you know, doesn't protect their side, doesn't fit the narrative for, for, for their side. It's, it's, it's hard to tell. Um, but like, like how we said, we're, you know, we try to be out there, try to get the full scoop, show you guys everything and then let, let you decide. It's, it's, it's difficult to understand. I mean, one thing that, that bothered me was that thing in Kenosha where, you know, I didn't even see any like reporters talking to the business owners. You know, these people are, are, are devastated. You know, livelihood gone. You know, who's going to share their stories? You know, that we, we ran into one witness who said a seven-year-old man was beat trying to protect his business. And he still burned. I saw that ground. video. Yeah. Right? And they, they bashed him over the back of the head. And to me, it was just like, you know, if you're in media news, why are we not sharing these stories of these? Um, these are Americans just like us. They're, they're in the middle class. The, you know, they're, they work nine to five jobs. You know, we should be sharing these stories. And I don't know. You know, I'm, I'm only, I'm only been in DC for four months, but I don't know if it's like the, the whole connection of, you know, you always hear the rumors before you move to DC. Hey, don't get, uh, like too caught up in your DC bubble. Like, you know, yeah. don't forget like to, to us real Americans. And maybe that is a thing where, where they're so caught up in this DC bubble. They're like, well, hey, I could look out the window and my high rise isn't burning down. So the whole area one's yeah. doing fine. Oh, dude. Um, dude. so I don't know if it's that aspect, but to me, I think that I mean that that's for have, me just that folks folks are too elite in media. Do you remember that tweet from the guy in like Hollywood where yeah. he's like, "Yeah, they're riding, woo!" And then, "Oh no, the rides are near my house. Stop, stop, go the other way. Go, go to yeah, the poor neighborhood, bro." I actually, yeah. I've been in DC for twelve years, so I can definitely comment. On, and I worked at NBC. One of my first weeks there was the Newtown shooting, and I wow that will forever stick out in my head because. When you have people who sit in these multi-million dollar studios and they talk about these human tragedies day in and day out, I think there's a certain callousness that you develop. And having experienced that human suffering firsthand, literally having Rosenbaum dying in my arms, I am now so much more aware of, of the actual suffering that is taking place as a byproduct of what's happening in our country right now. And that's not just in the riots. That's why are these people mad in the first place? Why are they going out there and so desperate to, you know, tear down the fence around the federal courthouse in Portland? And the answer is it's, it all starts with the e economics and, and our generation, you know, I'm 31 and I won't say how old Shelby is. She's very young. And, <laughs> but our generation, <laughs> no shame. We've, we've talked about this extensively there. We're one of the first, probably the first generation of Americans who are inheriting in America that's less prosperous than what our parents uh, grew up in or entered their professional lives in. And I think there's a profound disillusionment that's happening in, in 20 somethings and, you know, millennials. And I think that's the real root. And nobody wants to talk about that. Nobody wants to talk about the mental health or opioids because it's, if it bleeds, it leads. You know what I, I mean? I think it's a lack of purpose. Like yep. no one's got anything to do. No one we, knows why they're here. Yeah. We've uh, talked about that a little bit, too. Like these groups, it almost seems like they don't know who they are, what they want. And this is a like this is a community for people. Yep. Um, as strange as it sounds, it's, you know, a team. It's something to fight for and belong to. And and I think and I think that the media, I think also it, it, it's so um, divisive these days, like with Trump, you know, if Trump says something, 
I think, and this does not mean I am pro-Trump or anything, you know, I'm very non-political, but, but you can just see it. You don't, you don't have to be political to see that if Trump says something, many people in the media just automatically go to the other end of the spectrum. In the most and extreme way. So what has Trump done? He has called out these violent riots. He has, you know, used them. He has spoken about them. And so the media downplays them. And I think that right. is definitely a part of it as well. So Trump needs to come out and support Antifa for them to finally crack down on rights. <laughs> Antifa is great. They're the best. I love what they do. Trump is supporting violent extremists, oh, these yeah. people. And then they go full capitalist. Trump just announces he's a communist. And then they're like, perfect. I mean, that, that, that is an ongoing joke from like the Babylon Bee. It's like other satire sites. Whatever Trump says, I say the opposite. Yeah. Um, but one thing I actually kind of wanted to mention, kind of piggyback what they were saying, too, is, you know, being on the ground and like just striking some conversations with folks, um, I think it's that too is the the la the the lack of purpose in their life i think a lot of folks that i've met they kind of see this as like a moment of revolution mm -hmm. so it kind of fills that void um i mean one thing that i would be more interested in if i could have, have a chance to sit down is just you know finding more about these people's family lives you know i think that one thing that we don't talk about in media and politics is just like you know the you know having a strong family structure is a big big deal in our society and i i think we shouldn't shy away from that conversation we should we should be speaking about it especially in 2020 in a time like this we should we should be talking about family again that's just me. yeah we're gonna jump to uh super chats you guys ready yes sir audience yeah. commentary oh, it's, it, most of it has nothing to do with <laughs> what we're talking about you know Anything, yeah but uh we'll yes, see where we go like uh for instance Bobby Lane says Alex Jones should be Joe Rogan's co-host for all his future podcasts. <laughs> Spotify would love it. It would also be great for both of them to moderate LMAO. That'd be awesome. Yeah. They get on board with that. Morgan <laughs> Lippincott says there's a petition by Notre Dame students asking the university president to resign. He was seen breaking the school's social distancing rules at the ACB nomination ceremony. And once on campus in August, students can be expelled for breaking said Oof. rules. Yep. Wow. Interesting. I'll also mention right now, too, if you guys want to actually ask questions, we got the D.C. riot squad. So yes. you guys, I mean, look, if you want to ask a question about the riots, these are the people who are on the ground covering all of it. So they have they have the answers for you. That's this scoop. is your chance. For, for, and also smash, smash that like button. Mm -hmm. Lior Engelstein says, this is for Richie. Send my message from earlier, Tim. I don't know which one that was. That's Wait, Lior from Falkenseal. He, he, he oh, was, okay, right on. Yeah. Oh, is he, is he saying for you to send him it? Yeah, I, I told oh, you to earlier me. about the, the thing. Oh, your, right, right, yeah. right, 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 <laughs> yeah. right, right, right. Ah, uh, yes, <laughs> top secret, top secret. We don't yeah. want yeah, to tell people what you're packing, you know? That's <laughs> right. <laughs> We're talking about guns, by the way. <laughs> oh, gosh. Tony says, hi, Tim, I very much like your videos, but I think you might be misinformed on Turning Point. I work for Turning Point, and we go to college campuses to talk about capitalism versus socialism, big government versus small government benefits uh, of Bill of Rights. I, yeah, I, I guess. <laughs> no, I, I made a comment about it earlier, so, you know, I respect. Let's see. Uh, Captain Deplorable says, Tim tells it like it is. Fist bump. Thank you very much. Daniel Sotelo says, why not Joe Jorgensen? Uh, I don't know if you guys don't seem very political, but I'll just say for me, she endorsed Black Lives Matter and said we must be actively anti-racist. It's an ideology that's overtly racist. So, you know, I'm not down with yeah, that. Yeah, I'm out. Yeah. <laughs> Craig Wadding says, Tim, I heard that Antifa have been buying up all the extra small, small, and extra, extra, extra small sized bulletproof vests. Ha 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 ha. Tell Bucko I said hello. Oh, I will tell uh, him. You guys met Bucko, right? Yeah, the we cat. did. We did. Yeah, there you go. The best. 
Let's see. Joshua says, I think Trump helped Biden by speaking to his pride and allowing him to break focus organically. Shouldn't Trump force Biden to ad lib for two minutes? Yes, he should have. Yes. Yeah, absolutely. It's been awesome. Lee Wilson says, your name popped up on Boomer AM radio this morning. Looks like you're going mainstream. Oh, oh great. The cool. Boomers love you, too. Yeah, yeah. man. <laughs> All right. Let's see what we got here. I, I want to I see if I can get more questions for you guys, specifically. Everyone loves you. I got it. Well, I mean, it is my <laughs> show. It's like, I'm sure there are shows right now where they're like, Tim Pool's a moron. <laughs> <laughs> Someone's, uh, I see it like this, I feel like, says, vote in person. Mm. There we go. Uh, here we go. Brandon Savage says, Uhuru means freedom in Swahili. Okay. Hmm. I didn't know that was a... Uh, I just thought it was a thing they yelled, but... Oh, yeah. no. In Arabic. How you? Was it? Uh, in Arabic, freedom is Horia. So that's... Do they yell that too or something? Yeah. Interesting. Oh. Yeah, stuff. oh. Right, right, right. Yeah. Cool. Interesting. Weird. All right. Let's see. Let's see. Sudi Thunder says, your story reminds me of a time in college. Word started spreading that there was a gunman on campus. And as soon as it went from drill to gunman, I was out the window... Avoid the pathways using the tree line and got to my truck and GTFO. Mm. Despair Doctor says, Kyle deserves better. Eagle 99 says, Tim, me and my family watch your videos every day and appreciate the viewpoint and truth. You unwind from the games and most of the other media. Be safe and well, man. Appreciate it. Socialism says, why did the female reporter in the room lie about Kyle? He had complete control of his weapon the entire time. Fake news is not what we need, especially when we have video evidence of the truth. Yes, Shelby. Hey. Yes, Shelby. Well, <laughs> you weren't there, Shelby. <laughs> I was there, and Richie was there, and I think Richie would back me up when I said he did not always have complete control of his weapon. Well, you can read the criminal complaint. I, I'm not going to comment on what I said and how that was interpreted by prosecutors, but what you can see on the video, if he... I'm not sure exactly whose video feed it was, so apologies to whoever filmed it. Kyle's running down the street with a fire extinguisher in one hand and, a, and an AR in the other at a full sprint. Mm. I don't know what fire there was over there, but if it was a dumpster fire, you probably shouldn't be sprinting down the street with an AR-15. Well, a actually, uh, you guys know Drew Hernandez, Lives Matter show. He mm -hmm. I don't know if this was the same incident, but he said they had lit a dumpster on fire and were pushing it towards a gas station. And the reason they got mad at Kyle was because it was either him or someone who looked like him who put the fire out. So I, I don't know if this is the same scenario, but maybe if you see three dudes with a flaming dumpster being pushed towards a gas station, you do sprint towards it. Yeah. yeah. But know. listen, just because he didn't have, I mean, me saying he didn't have control of his gun the whole time does not mean that, you know, I'm not in saying that he was you know i uh, you're not accusing just, them. yeah right, it's just it's a statement i have no, uh, I have no opinion either exactly what yeah. i saw being on the ground and that's that and actually i con I, I mean i told you when he turned around the gun was aimed 45 degrees at the ground yeah. yeah and so as far as the instance of the shooting itself that's that's a different story and so your friend over there maybe uh Maybe you can go. Well, check yeah, out everybody has their, has their yeah. opinions. Yeah. Videos, yeah. <laughs> this is interesting. I don't, I don't know. Can we? Maybe we can fact check this. Um, mindless FPV says Proud Boys announced lawsuits against CNN and Biden campaign. Mm. I saw Rittenhouse did that, but I didn't. Well, see the yeah, Proud Rittenhouse. Boys do that. Rittenhouse is going to be suing through. Uh, yeah. yeah. Let me Google With this. The white interesting. Interesting. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Glenn says, as former military and an, as a uh, a armed security, I give credit to Rittenhouse for his restraint. The last guy he had to shoot, I would have seen him still as a threat, for he still had a weapon. So actually, yeah, like in the video, you can see after all three, you know, after the final shooting of the dude's arm, 
There's another guy with his hands up and Kyle puts, lowers his weapon and just gets up and starts walking away. I guess, you know, that, I think that in my opinion, and you guys have to comment on this, but, uh, uh, disproves intent to murder. I mean, I saw him earlier in the night. He's in one of my videos in the background yelling at protesters to, uh, you know, if, if you need first aid, come here. I, uh, what we saw that evening doesn't add up with the idea that he came to just shoot people. Yeah. Royal Raptor says, Kyle went out and protected his community, and you label him as a dumb kid. Tim, he was a patriot that protected his community from domestic terrorists. I don't want to, but I have to do the same, then I will. I totally understand that. And so what I'll say is, I'm not saying, when I say Kyle was, was, was a dumb kid, I'm saying he's inexperienced and is coming out not knowing how you handle these situations, how he's supposed to respond. I'm not, I'm not making a moral judgment. I'm saying... We are going to see more people who don't know how to handle the weapon. I'm not saying, I'm not, I'm not saying about Kyle. I'm saying we're going to see more people who don't know how to handle a weapon coming out and saying, if the cops aren't coming, I'm coming. That's why I say before I get to any criticisms of Kyle, first I criticize the cops. Where were they? Then I criticize the rioters. Why were you burning these, the city down? Then once we get there, we can talk about, you know, whatever we want to criticize Kyle for, but there's, there's these barriers are in front of that. So, you know, look, when I, if, if I'm being critical of him, keep that in mind. There's, uh, there's, there's layers to this. If it was like before the riots even happened, the dude shut up and was waving a gun around. I'm going to criticize him. But get, get out of here. You're, you're, don't do that. But this was what the third night of unrest and riots. So I'm not I'm not judging the kid for not being a, you know, a, a trained full like, you know, military, whatever marksman lurking in the shadows, knowing how he's going to defend a building or anything like that. All right, let's see. We've got a bunch of super chats just popped up right now. So let's see. Uh, Evie says, greatest guest ever, Tim. Does anyone think locals have changed their minds on who to vote for based on riots? Is that something you guys can comment on? Do you have any experience with that stuff? Yes. Uh, well, we've interviewed people who are moving out of their cities because of Whoa. what's happening. Um, multiple people in Portland, uh, people in Seattle, they're done. They're, are they voting they're for Trump? out. Uh, I don't know. One of them was voting for Trump, and I don't think they had in the past. Um, but there, there are people where they're over this. They're yeah. over it. I heard a story of, uh, some lady in Portland who like her store was getting attacked like by riders and she pulled out a gun and then she started yelling at the group, where are the black people at? Because it was all white people yelling black lives matter. And it's like, there's crazy stories like that. You know, where locals are just like, nah, like you guys are nuts. And they come out and then, you know, the Trump supporters make the stories go viral because they're kind of like. I don't want I don't want to downplay the severity of the chaos, but there's a humor in like the absurdity of some of these stories for sure. Bo Stoker says, talk to my local militia about this citation. Watching all the vids, Kyle's discipline was actually quite good. It shows in the videos trigger and aim when he drops aim when people retreat. I agree with that 100 percent. I just think that he's, a, he's he's 17, man. He's not like a 35 year old, you know, fully trained, experienced, you know. Socialism says gun owners are not the issue to everyone in the room. 99% of, gun, of all gun crimes are committed by illegal ownership. The overwhelming amount of guns save lives. Anti-gun much? Hey, were, were, I, were we making any anti-gun I, I don't know. What, I was just in Wisconsin, <laughs> and my boyfriend was te teaching me how to shoot a gun. So yeah. I'm not anti-gun. Yeah, no way, man. I, I, I got a bunch of guns now. Yeah, stay I'm, out of my... Yeah, I don't know what I said to... 
to get yeah, that. Yeah, maybe, maybe, go, Jorge. Yeah. Well, maybe, maybe, maybe. I'll take the blame on this one, yeah. folks. Maybe the interpretation was when I was saying, like, yeah. someone's going to hand their gun and say, gun laws be damned. Like, I'm protecting my community. I think we're going to see a lot of that. And I'm not, I'm, I'm not making a moral judgment. I'm saying, I don't, I, I, I don't want to see it happen. I don't want the cops. We need law enforcement. This is exactly why. But I would not be surprised if regular people just pick up the gun and say, I don't care. I'm not going to sit around and wait for my, for my, my, my life to be destroyed. All right. Let's see what we got here. DB says, I'm from Brazil. And the radical left in the USA is crazy. Brazilian journalists just digest news from the major American news sources and Twitter. Interesting. Dawson Allen says, after watching the video from Fight Back and following Kyle's case, he was attacked first. He needs to go home. God bless you guys and gals. Interesting. Placid says, hey, Tim, there was a study that shows that concealed carry holders are more law abiding than government police. All right. See, Sean Anthony uh, says, if someone asked any of you what you think is the best thing they can do to stop these riots, what what would you suggest? It's a tough question. It's a tough one. I mean, I don't like it's like I'm not in law enforcement, so I wouldn't know. But um, I mean, I'm reading uh, Lyndon B. Johnson's book right now about 1968. So one thing that he did during the race riots is they put troops on the ground. And it seems like when you put troops on the ground, violence deters. So that's all I got to say. But as an yeah. individual person, I, it's tough. I, I mean, I don't know the answer to that. I I can speak on where I have expertise, which is in the media. I th- I just I'm incredibly angry about the way that this entire situation has been treated by the media and the way that it's been downplayed for for partisan purposes yeah and also by the way when we were in seattle there was a fox news reporter coming in there and saying oh it's a party-like atmosphere and then leaving for you know (laughs) so i don't think it's necessarily that it's conservative or democrat but it's 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 very much a corporate media corporate media narratives that are that are spun up and then you have to stick to them because Independent journalists will say what they actually think, but people who are working for a massive corporation, I, I mean, they got you yeah. know, corporate overlords who have shareholders to worry about. Yep. And I think media is being democratized now, but apparently not as much as it could be because, I mean, our voices are lost. Nobody wants to pay attention to what we're saying at the Daily Caller, that's for sure. You're the Daily Caller? Yeah, because, oh, well, you mean, because I, I mean, I thought, we're, you know, we're not establishment I thought media. you meant your like, bosses were like, just <laughs> oh, we don't no. care what these guys yeah. are. <laughs> you mean that the establishment won't, won't yeah. hear you out. Exactly. So, in fact, yep. they'll actively ignore what we're saying, I think. Yeah. Bama Bear says, Tim, I must disagree with you on Kyle. I'm a combat veteran. I'm 35. Also, that 17-year-old was more calm than I would have been. He was trained well. Well, you know, to be honest, far be it for me to uh, uh, comment on whether or not someone is trained properly, because I certainly don't know what, you know, a trained SWAT or military member would do in a situation like that. All right, let's see. One drop says guests with the police interactions in D.C. and the other cities you have been in during the riots, how restrained or heavy handed do you think the police are or have been? Uh, I think in D.C. it began the police were very passive. Um, and it has gotten to the point where there's been so much unrest in DC that, you know, people throw one or two water bottles and that's it. They're, they're moving in. Uh, and then Kenosha, I would argue the police were really failed in that situation. And I think they were underprepared. Small, Um, small town versus like the likes of DC though, you know, Louisville, of course, two officers got shot, but I, I think every night they were declaring an unlawful assembly right when curfew was. I think they were way more aggressive than we've seen in other cities. Um, so Louisville it, was. Yeah. Interesting. I mean, I, I do think when we got arrested, the protesters were trying to, it did look like they were trying to disperse. They had, they had walked down the block and were sort of 
roaming in different directions and then we're not allowed to leave, you know? Um, so I think it, it really depends on the city. It really varies. Could, could that have been because they didn't, they didn't want these people to go into like suburban neighborhoods or even just other neighborhoods? I, I mean, I have, I have no idea. Hmm. Um, there were about 50 who were corralled in our section, um, which isn't a huge number when you think about it uh, compared to some of these other places we've been to. Uh, but I do think it, it varies city by city yeah. so much. The, the tactics how, too, of the how, police. Yeah, what like, they do. I'm more likely to get tear gassed in Portland or flashbanged, and I'm much more likely to get pepper sprayed in D.C. Mm-hmm. Right. And and I have, <laughs> by the way. And actually, I was hit with a tear gas canister in Portland. Um, and wow. I, you know, the best shot is in between the protesters and, and the police. So yep. that's where I was. And as Shelby mentioned, we have to dress down a little bit especially because if we're wearing press and then they know what press we are they're gonna it's not gonna be good right so i kind of just shake my gas mask at this guy who's aiming the canister at me and he shoots and hits me and uh i actually was live on facebook and i said things that i couldn't say <laughs> here right now. and actually as i'm bending over he must have reloaded because then i got hit in the leg again oh. um, i think i he posted videos yeah I, yeah I I saw you, that. Can, you can go on my twitter and and see oh. it um, but, you know, but he, I don't I don't necessarily blame him in that situation. I was at a riot. I could have just gone home. I was right, there right. covering what was happening yeah. in the midst of it, dressed in black. So I think New okay. York is actually, you know, for all the complaints people have about, about the NYPD, I've seen the least amount of heavy-handed tactics from NYPD. It's funny you, it's funny you say that because we commented when we were there the difference. They don't really rely on anything other than just a good old-fashioned billy club. And I think exactly. that goes back to yeah. riots from you And know, just locking you up immediately. Years. They just yeah, grab they, you and get rid of you. The, yep. and the NYPD does not mess around. So when they cleared people out from the – whatever we want to call the protest zone. The Occupy City Hall. City Hall. Oh, that's, yes. oh you were there exactly. for that? Yeah. Was yes. It was, it was brief, but uh, – there was some good art and some good some, music. Would you call it a, a good old fashioned belly club? Yes. That's, yeah. that's exactly it. I mean, that's literally what it is. And, and I talked to the NYPD there and they're like, listen, my, you know, some Irish guy who says, yeah, my dad did this and my grandfather did this yeah. and, and they were in this riot and this riot. And so I think actually th- those tactics, when you actually have uh, just a cop rather than like a shield or something like that, you're less likely to just like, you know, bump into it because that cop is going to swing back. That was, you know it, that so. was wild. I, I climbed up on the top of a <laughs> transgender's party bus to get some good footage. I got um, yanked off she, said bus by a, a big female cop. And she almost pulled. I almost fell right on my back. Like <laughs> Whoa, 10 feet up. But. That was that was not. Well, when was that? When was uh, that? Months ago. Ju- it was July. Oh, yeah. uh, it was wow. early July. Very beginning of July. You know that there's still like a camp in Philadelphia, I guess. Really? Yeah, like does the city's just ignore it? it. (laughs) Because they're they're like, well, they're they're like, if people want to have a homeless camp, that's not new to the city, so yeah, and they just ignored it, you know. Crazy. All right, let's see what else we got. Colin Sanders says riders seem to be developing more discipline and determination in the face of opposition. Does that square with what you've seen on the ground? Yes. Um. And we actually, when we were in Louisville last week, the some of the organizers were saying, you know, why aren't we doing these things that people in Portland and Seattle are doing? Uh, Look at what they're doing. And we're not doing that. So they are looking to these other cities. And Portland is, I mean, absurdly uh, like militant with their, you know, they they have tactics depending on what the police are throwing at them. They um, get into these formations. They have uh, weapons or like, you know, shields. It, it is very it, more and more organized the longer it goes on. And it it goes out into other cities as well. People are watching. 
Right on. All right, let's see what we got here. Hydro PX says this dude in yellow said it's about family. But how about, uh, but how when women are egotistical and want to take the role of the man? Well, I don't know. Uh, yeah. I, don't <laughs> I think um, it's you 2020. Wanna... Yeah, it's yeah. yeah. 2020. <laughs> what, it's present year. Nobody out there has like a strong-willed mother. I mean, oh. I mean, what's just because... My mom, mom, I love you, but you're real I think we, 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 we were talking about this last night with uh, Jack Murphy about, you know, feminism, trying yeah. to push every, you know, trying to push everyone towards a kind of middle-of-the-road masculinity. Mm-hmm. So that that might be kind of where the comment mm-hmm. is coming from. So you basically have like general masculinity is now associated with toxic masculinity, but then you have women being encouraged to take more masculine roles. So they're basically like pushing everything to a slightly masculine kind of space instead of recognizing the contributions of femininity to society. Yeah. And I think part of femininity is also being strong. And I don't know about like you guys, but you know, your parents very much are two parts of a whole and there are definitely feminine characteristics that my dad had that, you know, my mom didn't necessarily embody and vice versa. And so I don't know. I mean, I think just assuming that because it's a masculine characteristic, only a man can embody it. I think that's that's the mistake there. And that's, you know, I mean, Shelby definitely has a strong. I was talking to Shelby's dad the entire time that she was in masculine? jail. No, you <laughs> no, your dad. I was saying your dad is very, you know, he's very strong will, but he's also he's he's clearly cares because we stayed up all night calling yeah i only knew my dad's phone number and my mom's phone number so. well he, he also said to me he said um he said i said at least she went down gracefully and he said well yeah he treated the, those cops with way more respect than she did me growing up and then he said uh, oh yeah well it's been six hours and now she's hangry and now we need to be oh, careful no. watch out <laughs> yeah i will yeah Appreciate that. Blazon <laughs> River says, has DC Riot Squad ever heard of the Capitol bombings and riots in the late 60s and 70s? Whether Underground was responsible. You guys know all about, all about that stuff? Yeah. I did it, actually. Oh, That's wow. Not, I need to research that. Oh. Yeah. I'm reading yeah. about the race riots in the 60s. Yeah. So yeah. we'll figure your way up to it. I wonder. I w- no, oh, yeah. Well, I just want to say my parents were in, the, in DC in the late 60s, early 70s. And I think... The one thing my mom always says about the difference between now and then is the fact that the protesters at the time, I think, were unified in um, it wasn't necessarily, you know, specifically Nixon or I mean, they were obviously anti-Nixon, but it was it was the fact that we were overseas in a war that they thought that we shouldn't be engaging in and uh, things on the home front. I mean, I think I think there was a lot more uh, idealism there. Than, than what we see now. I love how the modern left kind of just doesn't care anymore about the Middle Eastern wars and the yeah. peace agreements. And it's it's crazy to me that like, if, you know, I, I grew up with war being the biggest issue. And I mentioned, we were talking a lot about this last night because the liberals just wanted to get rid of George W. Bush. Exactly. And then as soon as Obama wins, they're like, we don't care anymore. So now we have Trump actually trying to pull our troops out and they're resisting and fighting against him. I, I kid you not. I was talking to a friend of mine who said, I, I was like, do you agree with Trump's uh, position on withdrawing the troops from the Middle East? And then this is a progressive goes, well, I actually was reading this article from that she names a very famous neocon about why we need a presence in the Middle East. And I was uh-huh. like, are you kidding me? It's, it's if Trump <laughs> says it, it's bad. If Trump, if Trump says it, you can't do it. Rage Mage says, to the guests, what has been the scariest situation you've each been caught in so far while covering these riots? 
You want to go first, Shelby? I think you told your whole story. I can probably so. answer. Richie. Yeah. Richie's is probably the shooting. Uh, <laughs> Thumbs up. I was really scared when I got arrested because, again, you know, my mom is a prosecutor. I grew up, like, really fearing law enforcement and, like, breaking the law. And, um, and it was also really scary to be in... Um, a cell with people where I knew if they found out where I worked, I had no idea if it was going, if it was going to get bad. And, um, and then as the hours dragged on, you know, I know you're going to get out at some point, but it was nerve wracking because I didn't understand why as a reporter, you know, I was still in there. Um, and so that was, that was probably, I don't know if it was, I was frustrated. I was very frustrated. Um, but that was scary. And anytime you get into a situation, which we have where you're surrounded by protesters and they're, you know, targeting you, that's also, yeah, mine's that's was, also scary. Mine was in Atlanta with, uh, I was reporting alongside another reporter, Julio Rosas. Oh, yeah. And we yeah. were at the, uh, at that, uh, at that Wendy's, um, where Rashad Brooks got killed. And I believe it was a Saturday night and we were actually, away from the the Wendy's we were like next to the gas station right next to it mean Hula we weren't even talking to anyone and three um three men from that vigil step up to us armed and then say uh are you guys undercover cops and we're like no and then um I had the my tactical helmet you know strapped to my backpack and he you know the guy points at my my helmet he says that that looks like a police helmet you guys are undercover cops he then um the guy Julio that I'm with, he's like, he has, you know, he's, he's in the military. So he has that like military style. Yeah. So they're like, Oh, this guy's in the military. You guys are undercover cops. And then, um, they're all armed. And then they go, if you want to see the vigil so bad, we'll take you. And me and Julio are like, no, we're okay. We're actually going to get an Uber and uh, no, we're fine. And they're like, no, let's go. So they're, so now three armed individuals are taking us into this vigil where no white people are allowed. And basically there's no, it's a no cop zone. So people were like photographers were getting beat up there. Wow. And as they're taking us to this vigil, the arm, the arm guys are like screaming at other like gang members that they think were undercover cops. So now you have, oh, we're wow. basically getting crowded yeah. by all these gang members oh. and all these people. And now we're at, we're at the vigil and, uh, you know, me and Julio are lying. We're like, Hey, this is our first time here. We'll leave right now. We don't, we don't even want to be there. And they didn't let us leave. And then someone, uh, a, a female steps up and uh, yells at Julio and goes, I seen you guys here yesterday taking pictures Whoa. and all that stuff. So, uh, luckily the, the guys who like walked us in basically took us out and threatened us. They were like, Hey man, you guys better leave this vigil. If we see you, you know, uh, you know, again here tonight, we're going to shoot you guys, all this stuff. And basically me and Julio walked away and uh, me and Julio looked at each other and said, we're buying our ticket to DC tomorrow. Yep. We are done. <laughs> <laughs> we are done with Atlanta. Yep. Dude, I didn't know yep. that was going on in Atlanta. That's, yeah. that's crazy. Yeah. And then that's, that's what I was saying. Literally one week later is when that eight-year-old girl got shot and killed at that vigil. Wow. Well, man, it's been two hours. You guys want to shout out your social media so that people can follow you when you're covering the next riot? Yeah, my Twitter is just Shelby Talcott. It's pretty simple. My Instagram is... like two T's or anything? No, T-A-L-C-O-T-T. Ah, okay. And then my Instagram is S-B Talcott. Oh. Blackburn, middle name. Then my uh, Instagram is uh, Jorge Ventura TV, posting all the all our stories there. You then follow me on Twitter too at Ventura Report. Obviously, live tweeting all that good stuff. You then Mr. Rich McGinnis. Mine's easy. It's just Richie McGinnis. R I C H I E M C G I N N I S S. 
You looked like you weren't sure. Um, yeah. <laughs> what? You were like, huh? I'm, I'm, I'm quite sure. Yeah. I look like a what? Oh, yeah, no. Well, because, you know, it's. I'm what's Irish. my, I'm what's Irish, my social so. media? Yeah. yeah. Do you guys want to mention anything else Twitter before, we, before we wrap up or anything? Um, I mean, I just wanted to say, you know, thank you to you guys because, oh, for sure. um, you know, Shelby and Richie and I, we've been just really working hard this summer, like trying to get this content out to people, to, to folks. And we do appreciate, you know, you guys coming on. And I mean, you guys having us come on and share at least our, our stories and perspective. And hopefully there's other Americans who are maybe looking for this type of media to say, Hey, you know what? Let's check them out. And, uh, cause I, I still think a lot of Americans don't know what's happening on the ground. I still meet yeah. people yeah. every day who are like, Hey, just saw your, your tweet from Portland. I had no idea that was, that was happening. I was like, man, that was like two months ago now. <laughs> but, um, so we just appreciate you guys giving us a platform to, to share this experience. Um, I, I think a lot of frontline journalism don't get this opportunity. Right on, man. Yeah. And I, I think it's interesting too. P- people can hear that you guys aren't overtly partisan, you know? I think that's great. The, I, I, but I think people are still going to try and then there's no middle anymore, you know? So they're going to say, uh, if you're being honest about what's going on on the, on the ground, that means you're going to be saying things that's going to make people angry at Antifa. They're going to accuse you of being right or whatever, you know? You know what? That's their journey, <laughs> as my college coach used to say. Right on, right on. <laughs> Silence is violence. Oh, yeah. That's right. <laughs> I forgot. <laughs> yeah. Well, uh, everybody else, thanks for hanging out. You can follow me on Twitter, Instagram, and Parlor at TimCast. Subscribe to YouTube.com slash TimCast slash TimCast News. And, of course, this channel. Don't forget to smash that like button. We'll be back tomorrow at 8 p.m. We'll be hanging out and talking news again. But uh, seriously, uh, all of you guys, thanks. This this was this was this was great. I really appreciate it. Thank Getting you. some actual perspective from some on the ground yeah. reporters, and I'd love to have you guys back because you know obviously throughout the next couple of weeks, probably gonna get crazy. So if there's ever any you know big stories, come on back and and we'll 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 talk about it. We'll sure, cover it. Yeah. But uh, thanks for hanging out, everybody else for watching uh, who's watching. Thanks for hanging out, and we will see you all tomorrow at 8 p.m. live. Bye guys. <laughs>